How many of those you go through a week? Hey, fuck you, man. I'm fine. Alone out here. No woman. No kids. And no old friends. So that means I get to drink exactly as much as I want to. You don't judge me, motherfucker. Drop it. Duncan and Bo come correct. Welcome back, everyone, to Duncan and Bo come correct, or in this case, Duncan and Bo come true detective, where myself, Bo Ransell, and my old pal, Duncan, this guy. Affirmative. Yeah, that's me. That's me, people. I am here. I am in a different location, and as a result, trying to keep my voice steady and low. Slow and low, that is the tempo, Duncan. <laughs> Not as low as Bo. Let it roll. Let deep. yourself go. Enough, friends, though. Uh, I can't help it. I've been listening to a lot of PC Boys lately. Um, it's not true. I don't know why I said it. Um, <laughs> so we're here to talk about... Uh, this is the final catch-up episode, Duncan. Um, I know. We did well. Yeah, so um, we're, we're catching up to Even, where we are watching episodes 5 and 6 of uh, True Detective. Um, you may have heard of this show if uh, you're listening to this podcast. Um, where Mahershala Ali plays a detective across three timelines and Steven Dorff somehow upstages him. Uh, <laughs> he, he seems, I told you he was going to be the dark horse of this. I see. He was the one I was really, like, Mahershala Ali, I was like, that's cool, that's a good bit of casting. Steven Dorff got announced, I got giddy. Because I was like that, yeah, this is the vehicle, this is the show that is going to let the world know what I have always known in my heart of hearts, that Stephen Dorff can fucking act. <laughs> you've you've been uh, a part of the Dorfening all along, and we're, yeah. the rest of us are just catching up. I, I like to think that his performance is um, so powerful that we can call him the Dorfinator. Um and what he's doing is he, he's he's upstaging everyone. He, ain't nobody got nothing on Dorf this season. It's, it, this is Dorf on masterclass of acting. So, yeah, he's he's really good in this. Um, so, uh, before we get started, Duncan, on uh, on that business, our our dark detecting. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk about what we've been watching. Uh, I've got a bit of a surprise for you, Duncan. In that a movie that uh, you discussed last week, um, I saw. So I kind of want to start with that to upend our our normal procedure here. Um, But Variety is the spice of life, Duncan. Did you go and see Escape Room? (laughs) No, but no. No, not yet. Uh, I saw Piercing. Oh, this could be interesting because I loved it. Um, I thought it was good. I didn't. Okay. I, I wasn't bowled over by it. Um, there were there are no no there are things I I was bowled over about it. Um, all right. Here, so here's kind of my problem uh, with the movie. I'll start with that and then get to the stuff that you I have no was joy in your heart. No, it's just I wish it had been longer. It kind of ends where I want the story to really begin for me, or I need another act or something. Like I I I when. I understand when the movie ended, like I understand what the dynamic of their relationship was and what moving forward this was going to be, but I kind of wanted to see a little bit more of that. I felt like there had been a big tease uh, for uh, much of the film of like, well, what's going to happen when, you know, he starts to try to make his move and the, you know, the twist of her being like, oh, she's a little twisted as well. 
mm-hmm. you know, there was a lid for every pod. Um, w- that was fine. I didn't think it was all that surprising or anything. And I don't think it's supposed to be. <laughs> a, perhaps not, but just by the time you get to the point where it's like, oh, okay, so, you know, who's the one really in control here? I what I what Here's what I wanted, Duncan, is I wanted just a hint more Duke of Burgundy in it. Just a just a whiff, just a touch, a little think, spice. Like just yeah. you just put Duke of Burgundy in a shaker and you just run it over the pot one time. You don't I, I think I think it finishes perfectly. It finishes back with them about to begin the next round. Yeah, so. right. I understand that. I I guess I just wanted one more round. I wanted to see it like escalate. Now that they now that there was this understanding between them, I wanted to see them start to push each other a little bit. Yeah, but there's movies that do that. <laughs> I well, you're you're probably right. And those movies uh, litter my heart. <laughs> you have to pay. No, 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 you have to you have to pay for it. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, but but that aside, okay. So that that's really my minor quibble is that I just kind of wanted this this like coda to the story almost. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, Goblin never fails to impress. <laughs> The fact that they just completely repurpose the Tenebrae soundtrack is fucking, fucking yeah, it's the best. The miniature stuff I thought was genius. I really mm-hmm. like that. I think mm-hmm. the performances are both great. Um, yeah, I, I mean, like, there's a, a lot to like. If I were gonna rate it, I would probably give it like three and a, three and a half or four stars out of five. You You're know, fucking high is a five ball. Um, like, come on now. Um, but like you, your quibbles are that the movie doesn't do what you want it to do. Right. Right. I, That's why I, it's my scale, Duncan. Yeah. But I would, I would also argue that the movie's based on a book, which is really small. And I think that's where the book finishes. So perhaps so. And, uh, you know, I haven't read the story. I like, I really enjoyed it. I, I had a good time with it and, and I'm recommending it. Certainly. You really enjoyed it. You had a good time with it. Your problem is it maybe doesn't go far enough. So you knock it down a point and a half. And a five point scale seems yeah, a bit well, extreme. Bowl. But yeah, but I like I save my fives for like this is fucking classic. Like yeah, I haven't well, even gone. Yeah, five on my scale is I love the movie. It's not that it's a masterpiece. No, four really like four, four and a half for me is like I really, really love this movie. Five is like this is untouchable. This is a work of art. You know? Like mm-hmm. I'm I'm a half step away from from just putting that five star mantle onto uh killing of a sacred deer. I'm real close on that one. I, don't, I like I have to kind of work up to a five. I need to sit with a movie for like two years <laughs> before I can. But there are very few immediate fives. The the Vavitch is maybe the closest uh, I can think of of like fuck five stars. Mm-hmm. That movie just you know made me its bitch and fucked my fanny hard, Duncan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Stipple Ryan's little story right there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, well, preschool anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, no, I, I think. Um, I see. I'd, there's a part. There's a part of me that has given myself over to the fact that movies will never be the way that I want movies to be. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, that's just that's just never going to happen. Like the way I want things to be done, like makes sense to me and me only, really. Um, and. Once I remove myself from that, I think everyone's going to be personally caught up. I mean, we're going to be talking about a TV show tonight, which, like, on a personal level for me, is just doing 
everything 100% right. Like absolutely everything is is perfect about what I'm seeing on the screen. Um, and there's a very good chance that you're going to tell me that there's a couple of things in here that maybe are, are handled a bit clumsily or maybe not handled with the deft that we would expect from the guys that gave us a, like a season one of True Detective. There's a very good chance you're going to do that. And I'm going to lean into that personal preference because it's my review. So I can do that very much like what you're saying. But what I would say is like, because a movie doesn't go in the direction, this is my kind of 2019 um, kind of ethos now into reviewing. And it really is. I've, I've kind of, I've kind of thrown myself into, I think, I think what it is is like when I, when I, Log online now. This is, I think I've come through, like 2019 was like a war of attrition to get through because not only did we get spoiled, like really spoiled for, for movies, but at the end of it, the fact that people would still question had 2019 been a good year for movies you mean and 2018. Or horror? 2018, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Had been a good year for movies and or horror, I think solidifies the problem. <laughs> and the problem is that I don't think people are objectively looking at movies anymore. I think that I think that's gone now. I think it's like people are going in less with objectivity and more with what a poster is telling them that a movie should be, um, what the internet's telling them a movie should be, or what they feel a movie should be, as opposed to just looking at the craft, like sitting back and taking the craft and the way the stories like weave together and stuff like that, and and then coming away with a conclusion on it so that's not really seeing where the directions of where you would take a movie because i think that's a different sort of critique if you know what i mean I think, right like, yeah but also feeling a, a sense that th- that you're not wholly satisfied with the film experience yeah, yeah, I, I, think I think that's, that's reasonable yeah, and that's kind of my experience with uh with, yeah, with I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't disagree. And like, certainly, my way of doing things this year is very much against the grain of everyone. Like, um, I'm at the stage now that I saw that trailer for the new Chucky film, and I was like, that this actually looks pretty dumb and pretty fun. Yeah, I agree. I yeah, I was like, I don't look. I don't have any particular. Child's Play is not a sacred cow for me. I don't it's really not, give a shit like about totally, that movie. It's totally not. But as soon as I went up there, it's like, once again, the internet explodes into the sea of negativity. And I have to wade through the sea of negativity. But you don't, Duncan. I, I didn't even know. know the internet was upset about it because oh, I never it, look. It's, it's like everyone can't wait to take a shot at it. Yeah. And then you've but got. You've, you've fuck got those like, people. Why are you paying attention? Because it's difficult not to bow. Like, see if you want. Like, this is the, this is the double edged sword. The, the, the one side of the sword is that you want to you want to keep yourself involved. With what is happening and what's moving and what's shaking in the community. That's that's how you keep abreast of situation, right? Um, but the the second edge of that sword is in doing that you open yourself up to the internet, and the internet is just a is a piss pot of negativity at the moment so like i have to see all that so like it's it's basically me like standing in front of a fan that's blowing shit in my face trying to think positive thoughts um that's like that's like every time i log into facebook now that's literally how i feel so whilst i'm not saying that and, and what i'm saying in terms of my critique and my approach is not necessarily a dig at how you experience the film i think it's it's wholly acceptable to say the movie finished and I felt a little bit unsatisfied um, with the way it wrapped up. I think that's fine. I think maybe my concern would be 
when someone says, I got to the end of it. It's not how I would have finished it. I would have done this. It's right. a completely different, yeah, you know what I mean? That's a completely different standard in that that's not how it was written and that's not how it was filmed and that's not what the director wanted to do. And yeah, I could think I could think of about a million different ways I would end some of my favourite movies, of all, like five-star movies, like proper, like classic, like put them on the mountain sort of movies and hold them up towards the sun, sort of, you know, these are the, the pinnacle. I can think of plenty of things I would add as an additional scene or additional two scenes, or wouldn't it be great if we saw the after effect and wouldn't like all these things, right? I can think of loads of movies like that. Uh, but I think that when the movie finishes, I think you just have to deal with it on what it was. So if you feel unsatisfied, that's fine. I, I mean, that's, that's acceptable, you know, like, but it, when people are like that, you know, well, the, the, you know, if I had done it, the movie should have ended this way. I think that's the wrong approach. And that's what I'm seeing now. I like, I, I, once again, not directed at you, but the majority of criticism I see about movies now are, you know, it, the movie wasn't scary, but I wouldn't talk about any other aspect of the movie, positive or negative. Um, or, you know, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't gory enough. Um, which is one of my favorite ones, specifically when it, it details towards, uh, movies which don't have an R rating which just fucking blows my mind now it's like something like that Final Girls came out which I think is a really fun, really witty really well written movie it, um, uh, th- that's the one with uh, what's her name, Malin Ackerman maybe is that it's right? One, it's the one where it's set in the camp and they're, they go back in time to when right. the main girl was mom yeah, yeah, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah I thought that was a lot of fun too yeah, I think it's really well written, and instantly horror fans uh, get a bit snubby about it because it doesn't have a high uh, the the gore count is low, and it kind of feels like it's aimed at a younger market. And I'm like, right, so the the gore isn't well. I can count on my hand, well, many hands, the amount of slasher movies that have that high blood count, but don't have endearing characters, well written dialogue, you know, like all, all the rest. So I will trade off the blood. To have people that I connect with, you know what I mean, or a story that's interesting. I will, mm-hmm. you know, I'll trade. I will trade that off. It's very few and far between that you'll get a movie like Happy Death Day, which has both. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which, which was which a, has, a, like a, a, an incredibly fun surprise to yeah, find a like, movie like that. Yeah, yeah. No one was going to that movie expecting it to be as good as it was. You know what I mean? And then there's a reason that people came out genuinely surprised. But it's very rare that you get the one that marries the two. You don't usually get that. You usually get as one or the other. You like you sacrifice um, the the kind of schlocky gore and all the rest in favor of really well written characters and you know like a, a good script and you know on that level or you know you go the other way you kind of sacrifice your really well-written characters and good actors and all the rest in favor of the most schlocky kind of blood gore and all the rest so that's what stuck out to me about Pearson is Pearson doesn't get nearly as gnarly as a movie like that could and I probably think the book is a bit more gnarlier because it's written by the dude that wrote Audition so kind of makes me think there's probably a bit more happening in the book. I don't think it goes nearly as far enough, but at the same time, I don't think it needs to. And at the same time, I think the acting and performances are fucking great. Mm -hmm. Like, absolutely great. The choice of um, score works perfectly with the movie. Like you said, the use of miniatures. So I'm now, like, I'm now clocking up 
great acting, great dialogue, great story, um, great setting, great, you know, like I'm, I'm like uh, the use of cinematography. All this is done brilliantly. So I'm weighing up all that stuff. Um, and I like the ending. So my my thing is when you're saying you don't like the ending, that's enough to chop a point and a half off. My brain's kind of like, huh? Right, because everything else you really liked. So yeah, but I also like I, I'm not looking at the sum of, of its parts. It's not like a video game where it's like, well, the graphics are good, the sounds good, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it you know you have to take the experience as a whole uh, of of like yes, the acting's good, it looks beautiful, the music is great because it's just appropriated from and, you know like that that was going in. You knew that the music was going to be good if uh, if you knew that Goblin was doing the score. Yeah, but you could easily pick a track from one of the Goblin scores and, sure. it, in and it just doesn't fit the scene. So, right? I mean, no, it no craft in that. Yeah, no that that's all great. But then there's that sort of like hey, when the you know the curtain goes up or goes down i suppose uh the curtain goes down and the light the house lights come up and you're like okay how did i feel about that movie like walking away from it that do i feel like it was a satisfying experience do like what is my emotional state um do i feel like it raised interesting ideas or interesting themes and you know and that's another point where i feel like piercing is kind of treading ground that I feel like other films have explored in different ways. Um, and But again, that's not to the film's discredit. It's just like, okay. So conversely, my impression of it is like, yeah, I think all that, all the, the stuff that you're detailing there is true, but I don't think necessarily it's an earth shattering film. It doesn't really change how I look at the world around me. It doesn't challenge my own beliefs. Um, yeah, you know, but I, but, think, I think by setting any sta- any movie by setting those standards on it, you're instantly setting yourself up for failure. There's, not there's not only necessarily. One, there's only going to be like one movie a decade that is truly, the, truly going to change right. the way we look at cinema. But. but I can also, but but not necessarily. Like it doesn't have to be a seismic impact. I can point to something like Zombievers, for example. Mm-hmm. Which I would recommend, weirdly, like, this is going to sound like fucking sacrilege. I would recommend Zombievers over Piercing. because yeah, that is silly. <laughs> I, I understand that. But walking away from Zombievers, I was like, man, I haven't had that much fun watching a horror movie in some time. And so it's easy for me to tell people, like, hey, you know, I would probably, although I would probably honestly rate them about the same if I put them on a star scale, which is another reason I don't like scales all that much. But but I, I would say, like, hey, piercing is this kind of intellectual exercise about the dynamics of a relationship, and it it is using the trappings of kind of, you know, serial killers and BDSM and pleasure and pain and that kind of thing. And all of that, that is interesting and fun, but it is a little, a little bit cold. It is a little bit, um, almost Cronenbergian, which is certainly mm. not, not a, uh, a knock against it, but there is kind of a detachment to the things that you're seeing and to the, uh, more so Mia Wasikowska's performance than, uh, what's his name? Jacob something or other. I can't think of his, his full name. Hey, Christopher Abbott. Christopher Abbott. Yeah. Uh, so his performance is a little more emotionally driven, I would say. But um, so that is a tougher sell to, I think, a general audience 
than being able to tell just any old person that's like, hey, I like yeah. I like horror movies. Like, you know what? You ought to watch Zombievers. Zombievers yeah, would, is, is I really would never, fun. I would never just casually throw out Pearson as mm-hmm. a recommendation to an sure. but that but at the same time though, if it's it's like the right audience for everything. You know, I, I wouldn't casually right. throw out Zombievers either because <laughs> Zombievers Zombievers to me at times, even though I think it's a really fun movie, at times is the poster child for what a lot of people who don't know horror think horror is. Um so it plays Oh right. And would wouldn't see it as a parody uh of yeah. the tropes, it would just see yeah, it. Yeah, they, they, they would the walk trope. away thinking, yeah, that's that's why I, you know, yeah, it was fun sure. and goofy and all the rest, but I wouldn't watch more of these. You know what I mean? Whereas like and once again I wouldn't throw it Pearson on that either, because to me it's the it's the antithesis of what people who think filmmakers like the modern trends in horror are that some filmmakers are going up their own arse um, in terms of trying to, to trying to do their craft. It's like they're trying to segue everything as an artistic message. It's like that that fucking meme that was going around what two weeks ago, where it said, "What what horror fan are you? You're the one that's." Um, you know, into style and content and great acting and shots. Are you the one that wants to watch Slipaway Camp Three again? Or you know, and I, like I remember appearing on my page, and the first thing I wrote was, "Can't you be both?" Right? Yeah. Why? Why do you have to be one or the other? I like because that's what I am. There's, there's yeah. like, like trashy horror films are good for the soul. You know what I mean? Like they <laughs> yeah. really are. Both like, are. I, I, yeah, I can't. I, I've lost count how many times I've come in on a Friday like after a particularly bad day at work and shoved on pieces and just sat down or slugs or something like really trashy, not really well made movie. But I know that when I watch it, I feel good because of how fucking trashy it is. Um, Who the fuck are you talking to? Mr. Ouija seance over here. I know what you're talking about. But yeah, equally in the same breath though, I've seen myself like on, on a Saturday night when everyone's went away to bed sitting there going, you know, it's time to break out some fucking Mulholland drive and let's do this shit. Like get, get three whiskeys in and delve into the world of David Lynch and have my brain fucking melted. So yeah, I I mean, (laughs) you know, there's, there's room, there's room for both. I, I, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I, I disagree in that to me the ending felt like the appropriate place because all you're going to get in that next round is them upping what they do to each other and I'd, I'd like I can see plenty of movies where people torture other people even for sexual pleasure I've, I've seen plenty of movies do that I thought it was strangely sweet um, and kind of endearing that the movie like things that don't usually resonate with me in movies really resonated with me on this one I just thought it was it, the perfect time to I, I really felt like Punch Drunk Love kind of did the same thing better I wouldn't disagree with that but I think uh, I think it's interesting to see it done in this capacity sure. using the style that they do so this yeah. is a guy that clearly clearly knows his not only his horror references from picking soundtracks but specific nods and references to, to other types it weirdly it reminded me I, I actually when i was watching it i thought it's like the it's almost like the complete polar opposite to it's what would happen if patrick bateman actually found love you know by finding yeah. someone equally as equal I, I don't know there was just so much about it that i was just watching it going that's a really clever choice. I really like the way they've done that. And maybe that's more on the technical craft than necessarily everything else. But I think the, the two performances are 
the, the central performances, I mean, they're on, they're on screen. They take you for basically an hour and 20 minutes. And I thought the performances were fucking flawless. So yeah. I, I, I'm not it's really going to... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's my good because we both like it. Yeah, I think, I think when it comes down to the end, like you say, you could have happily went further into that and explored that a bit more. And I think they got out at the right time before it may have become repetitive and or lost its impact. You know, I mean, you can easily add tag on an extra fifteen minutes and lose the 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 steam that is built up by by not doing anything. So it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't, you know what I mean? Because it's the sure. unknown. Maybe in the hands of that director, he delivers an extra 15 minutes that, you know, from your perspective, is like, you are, this is this is what I need. This is what, you know, this is like really interesting. It's building it. It's giving me more. Um, but he could easily put an ending in the year. Well, you know, well, that just, you know, I went out for a, a three-course meal and the starter was amazing. The main course was amazing. And then they served shit in a bowl at the end. <laughs> You know what I mean? Why did they do that? Yeah. Uh, so I think I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm glad you watched it though. I'm, yeah, I, I'm, oh, me too. I'm I had, for it. Yeah, I had, I had a really good, I had a good time for it this year. Uh, um, I I think like I'm really excited to watch. Uh, I was excited to watch that and and had a good time with it. And then uh, the next movie uh, that I'm really looking forward to watching, which will probably be tomorrow, is uh, Braid. I'm uh, hearing great things about I, it. I hear great. Like I I saw an early trailer for it. Um, just because it sounded like such a weird premise. And then after seeing the trailer, I was like, you know, if this trailer delivers on its promise, mm-hmm. this movie could be fucking wild. Like, kind of a uh, Dave Made a Maze yes. kind of I just, thing. I literally just got that from Arrow um, last week. That's a movie I've never seen. Uh, it's it, it's it's really fascinating. And, and very inventive and clever and... It's really cool. I think you're going to like it. And Braid is giving me that vibe of like, oh, this is just going to be kind of dark and inventive and weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost Gilliam-esque in a way. Oh, so you're, you're selling me. You're and selling me hard on this one, Boran's though. So I'm, I'm going to watch that tomorrow. I need to finish up my, my Devour the Podcast uh, movies about love. And Piercing will fall into that uh, as well. Mm. Um, so I'll, I'll mention that again on the Devour stuff. But... Um, so yeah, I've got one and a half more movies to watch to, uh, to get that episode ready to go. And, uh, so tonight I will be watching, um, uh, the rest of the hidden face and, uh, picnic at hanging rock. Oh, all of that movie. I was kind of saving the best for last. I was like, (laughs) there are a couple of these I'd never watched before. Although hidden face has been a, a real dark horse winner for me so far. Um, but Picnic at Hanging Rock, I was like, look, I'm just going to end this the the fucking way to end it, which is with <laughs> a, 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 like, just a beautiful, artistic, mysterious, enigmatic kind of film. Mm-hmm. All those things. It's it's so fucking good, man. So, assuming, assuming Pearson was your good, what's your bad? Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> let me talk to you about a movie called Eddie Glum. Yeah, I can already I can already hear you smiling. So this must be really bad. <laughs> this is a fucking weird movie, man. What's it called? Eddie Glum. Eddie Glum. Yeah, G L U M E D D I E. Eddie Glum. It is available on Amazon Prime here in the U.S. Although I'm not recommending it, but I'm also kind of recommending it. Um, <laughs> every time. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a problem. 
so here's how I came across this movie. I am, um, I, I every now and again, I'll pop into the, this is how I stay abreast of things, Duncan. I pop into the horror subreddit for a minute mm-hmm. and I kind of scroll through and I think, ugh, these people seem terrible. And then I'm done. But there had been one of those, hey, uh, what, somebody help me remember the name of this movie posts. And the description of it was a post-apocalyptic story about a dude who kind of sounds like the guy from Sling Blade. Left alone after everyone else is gone. And there are things that aren't quite zombies. They're more Lovecraftian than that. And also, this lady swings by every couple of weeks, and they fuck. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what that movie is, but I want to see it. That sounds fucking crazy. And so somebody did fill in the blanks on that one, and even said in their response, like, I think the movie you're thinking of is called Eddie Glum. It fits all those descriptions, but it's barely a movie. It's more like a student film. And... I was like, well, I still have to see this fucking thing. (laughs) And sure enough, the synopsis that was given there and that I have given you, Duncan, is what that movie is. (laughs) Except it's also kind of how to describe this. So it's also found footagey in that it's done documentary style. And you never know until the end who it is that's holding the camera. Like, who is it that that is filming this if this is, the you know, one of the last people on Earth, presumably? Um, also, there's a naked screaming lady that's a giant that apparently is where all these glowy-eyed people in robes came from that just eat people, apparently. Is this Twin Peaks we're talking about? It's, it, dude. Um, geez, what else? Uh, he constantly talks about having to save his baby. The, oh, I didn't, I forgot one of the most important things, Duncan. Whenever he speaks, they put subtitles underneath him. (laughs) Just him, just that character. And sometimes, Duncan, the subtitles aren't what he's saying. It's, (laughs) it's, it's like a message to the viewer saying like, it's dark in here. You need to come find us. And it's fucking crazy, dude. Um, it's not a good movie. I mean, it's super cheap. Like, this was made in a dude's backyard. Mm-hmm. But there is something to it. Like, it's one of those things where, like, I, I don't think that money would have helped this. Like, no budget is going to make this a better movie. Um, not better acting. It's just this weird thing that came out of some dude's brain and found its way to video and God bless him for it. I'm glad I saw it in a weird way. (laughs) It's, it's tough to watch because it's, again, it's barely a movie, but it's just so fucking weird, man. Like I, I genuinely want to try to track this dude down and interview him just to be like, what in the fuck was this about? Why why was the naked lady screaming all the time? What who was the who was writing the subtitles? Sounds I, weird. Sounds like I need to watch it. I, I mean, again, I can't recommend it because it's not it's not entertaining. 
And it's not, you know, all the things I said that I look for in movies about being like illuminating and, uh, you know, or have some emotional response to it or whatever. This is just one of those things that's fucking head scratching, but is <laughs> in like captivating for how weird it is. So, you know, take that as you will. But uh, Eddie Glum is the name of it. And, you know, huh? <laughs> so what what real movies have you been watching duncan well let's lead off with this one which i didn't like um and i don't know why i sound surprised but i might upset some people that have goodness in their heart um i did not i went to see the new lego movie with my daughter oh no um, i yeah i heard it's not very good it's not very good, so um, but, but I keep being told I I keep getting told that it is really good, and I'm not. See, I've never seen the first one, right? So, and you don't have uh, to, the first well. one's delightful. I I really yeah, enjoyed it. I don't know if I'm I, if it's anything remotely like this one. I don't think I could sit through it. Um, I'll tell you why, right? See, if I go and see a kids movie, right, I understand that on some level, filmmakers nowadays have to put in jokes for the adults they kind of have to because they know the adults are taking them there they have to keep their attention the lego movie for me is a cartoon which is really riddled with adult jokes that are more nod nod wink wink we know that you've seen the movies we're referencing rather than being entertaining for kids because i was in an a cinema full of children including my daughter and none of them were laughing <laughs> like at all all the way through it, none of them look particularly excited. Um, meanwhile, there's you know they mention all the all the actors that played Batman, and I'm like, your age range don't don't know this. Like, there's there's Bruce Willis keeps making appearances, and Bruce Willis apparently lives in a at like a an air duct. I'm like that. That is literally aimed at people that have seen Die Hard. So like, I I don't get. It. I don't get the tone and I don't get who it's for and as a result it was wholly distracting for me like the whole movie was wholly distracting for me because I couldn't quite work out who the movie's playing for um, and you know I didn't find it particularly funny and or entertaining and my child didn't find it funny and or entertaining either in fact about 45 minutes into it she looked at me and said daddy's almost finished can we go Um yeah, I'd, 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 it was a head scratcher. It has put me off watching any of them. I just won't do it. I, I won't do it. And I know there's about four or five of them. I won't do it. Even the, even if the first one's a masterpiece, I won't do it. Um, it has soured me off the whole thing because I, I just know I'm going to go into that movie with prejudices I will not be able to shake. And rather than taint a viewing experience or <laughs> something else, I'm not going to do it. I, let me say this. I, I, not to convince you to watch them because it sounds like we're past that. I will say I saw the Lego movie and thought it was wonderful. And I got about halfway through that Lego Batman movie and I had to turn it off. I, 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 like, I, I think the first one is legitimately wonderful. And I just, it was lightning in a bottle. They, everything worked in that movie. And then I don't think any of the rest of them have been. Well, I've only yeah. seen the one or half of the one. And then I was like, yeah, I'm done. I saw the good one. Yeah. So just, it was just. I don't know. It was a it was a hard movie to get through, like a really hard movie to get through. Eh, that's a uh, shame. 
which I'm going to juxtapose with maybe one of the best things I've seen this year, um, like overall. Um, and this is a Netflix original TV series, um, which is super quick. You can get through it in about four hours. It's eight episodes. And it's Russian Doll. Um, oh, yeah. It is the fucking tits. It is absolutely fucking brilliant. I mean, I cannot stress how witty, crass, um, funny, disgusting, emotionally heartbreaking, um, and up- weirdly uplifting that entire show is. It is like Groundhog Day. I mean, it's obviously like Groundhog Day meets Happy Death Day because they're kind of in the same boat. But if the person that was writing it was really dark, <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> like someone with a really dark sense of humor, like like it'd been written by nihilists who, had, like at the end, decided that maybe the world's worth saving after all. Fucking um, nihilists, yeah, fucking nihilists. But um, no, it's it's, it's great. It's I, I've it's yeah, I've heard some good things about good. that, yeah, and it's jaw-droppingly good. Natasha Leone is, yeah, and she owns every like to me. I was it was about. Is I'm Amy Poehler involved with that somehow? I want to say, maybe, maybe. I don't know. I, I, uh, to be honest, I, she's so good as the central character that there are other people that I, I know I've seen in other programs, but my my brain just draws a blank on them. She is because um, I was watching. Um, I was talking to both me and my wife watched it, which is one of these rare opportunities that we both watch a program that we both love. Um, and we're watching it, and I think we're about the second episode. I'm like, where do I know her from? And I was like, that she was an American Pie, wasn't she? Uh, so it clicks that she was, you know, obviously an American yeah. Pie. And I don't think I've ever seen her in anything else. Um, she was uh, Orange is the New Black, I think. Yeah, I've never watched on. that. Yeah, I haven't either. Uh, Amy Poehler is one of the co-creators and executive producers. Well, that makes along sense. with Leslie Headland. Um, and and Natasha Leone, uh, Leslie Headland uh, directed something for ABC. Um, uh, and had just been a producer a little bit, looks like. Um, so uh, yeah, it's it's like honestly, it's 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 in, to see it's witty is an understatement. Um, the humor is biting, like really, 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 like they, they're just dropping sea bombs left, right and center in a way that made me think it'd been written by a Scotsman. Um, Great. And, yep. And um, yeah, it gets like, do you know how like Groundhog Day, there's a, there's a, there's a bit in the middle where it gets kind of bleak. Yeah, sure. You know, put that, that inevitable reality that you, there's just some people that you just can't save regardless. It's the old guy. It's just regardless how well you look after him and you get him fed and showered and give him the best days life, he will always die at the end of that day. And you're kind of left with that trauma. You have to fight through that. Um, yet Russian Doll manages to do... Manages to, like, go darker than that. <laughs> like, like so much darker than that, um, but still, like I don't know, still be weirdly endearing. It's it's weird to describe. It's it's tonally very sophisticated. It's layered. It's layered. Well, it's it's Russian doll. It's uh, you know what I mean. It's it's incredibly well written. And yeah, maybe the first 
big heavy hitter in TV this year for me alongside something like True Detective. Like, I will talk in the same breath about True Detective as I will about Russian Doll uh, this year. That's how strong I think that TV show is. Okay, I'll I'll put it on the list for sure. Um, I saw the, I, was I saw yesterday because I was obviously like over the moon with it and all the rest, and I was like, I wonder what the internet thinks. I think it's like I think it's still sitting with about a ninety eight percent on Rotten Tomato with shitloads of reviews. So I think that you know, I mean, I'm not the only one that's come out feeling kind of awesome about it. Um, and you, like I say, you need you you need to watch it, and you will breeze right through it. And each episode's just under half an hour long, so you will fly eight episodes, breeze right through it, not a problem. So speaking of uh, that stuff, uh, just a, a quick note that I finished um, the second season of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which I talked <laughs> about last week. So I'm I'm done with that show now. Um, but uh, it it was it was wonderful. That's a great mm-hmm. show. Um, and, but, uh, so I threw out a message, uh, amongst our Legion folks and I was like, Hey, I finished the show. I thought it was great. I want to start a new show. What should I watch? And I was thinking of starting up deep space nine. Oh, nice. Right. And somebody was like, no, no, no. What you ought to do is you ought to watch the Orville because that's kind of the closest to the next generation. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I started watching. So I'm playing catch up on that. And I had watched two episodes of that, the first two episodes, and and wasn't on board with it too much. And then I got to the third episode, which was the. the have you seen it? Is this the is this the fucking um, what's his face McFarlane? Yeah. Um, no, I didn't watch any of it. Okay, I, I don't know. Okay. To me, it, it looked like it was treading on Galaxy Quest grounding that sacred ground for me that should never be trodden on. So. <laughs> It's it's more of a parody of the next generation than it is Galaxy Quest-ish. Because it takes itself seriously with the space stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not really the goof. And the characters aren't that silly. It's just, it's sort of like, what if you had the crew of the Enterprise, only they use the word douchebag every now and again. Right. And, and Which is fine. Like, my least, the least enjoyable part of that show for me is the comedy of it but uh the so the second episode that i saw that kind of put me off the show was that one of the characters on the show was this alien that had to sit on an egg for the whole episode to birth a child and it was like that's not very fun but then the next episode which i picked up just recently after the witch was the one who was like you should watch the orville um and when the witch tells you something you listen always listen so I start watching the uh the with the third episode and it involves that character that after the the egg hatches that he is part of a species the 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 child is is hatched um a girl and his species believes that being born a girl is a birth defect and that immediately the gender of the child is changed to a male um upon birth and it's just Mm -hmm. part of the culture. And so the whole episode is the, this, this guy and his husband, because they're all males in this species want to have this operation done to the child. The doctor on board the ship refuses because she thinks it's child abuse. And then it becomes this galactic argument over 
who has dominion here? Is it the rights of what is ostensibly the Federation to deny this medical procedure? Or is it the planet and the culture saying, look, it's just, it's our culture. You can't tell us how to behave. And it was a next generation fucking episode where it was Mm. like, hey, here's this interesting intellectual argument. And even the way it ends wasn't necessarily a happy ending. It was just like, oh, well, here's the way that it ended. And it leaves a lot of open questions about what was really right. And it it was, and then the next episode was uh, a, a story about them finding a, an ancient, like 2000 year old spaceship, the size of New York city. And when they go inside it, they find a civilization that doesn't, that has forgotten they are on a spaceship. And the spaceship is being sucked into a sun. So they have to convince the people there of what the reality is. And it's a total uh, metaphor for climate change. Because they're like, hey, we can't see it, so it must not be real. And, you know, the crew of the Orville having to tell them and convince them, like, no, 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 you're actually on a spaceship. And we're going to show you the reality of this. And anyway, it, like the the comedy stuff works sometimes. Sometimes it falls a little flat for me, but it totally is a next generation show, and it's it's mm. completely satisfying on that level. So anyway, the witch was right, and so after I get done with the Orville, is my point because I've started this new thing, Duncan. Where when I start watching a show, that's all I fucking watch. If I've got thirty minutes to rub together, I throw on an episode of that show, and I'm getting through stuff a lot faster that way. Nice. Yeah. So once I get done catching up on the Orville, I'll jump over to Russian Dolls because I've heard it's great. And one other note: one when you were uh, talking about it, I just briefly checked. So Amy Poehler and Natasha Leone had written a pilot in 2014 called old soul that was kind of an early version of this Ah. that they they wrote it for nbc nbc turned it down they came up with a slightly different version of it which became russian doll yeah well nbc made the mistake (laughs) surprise fucking surprise man i mean they made a huge mistake because netflix will be laughing all the way to the bank on that Well, like, and why wouldn't you want to be in the Amy Poehler business? Because after uh, The Good Place, which Mm -hmm. she also produces, is maybe the most acclaimed network sitcom, maybe even network show right now. Like, it is kind of, I, I, my understanding at least is it's sort of universally agreed upon is like, hey, it's the best thing on any of the networks right now. Um, It's the, I'm trying to think, it's the one with them. Ted Danson, yeah, yeah, dude, that show is so good. If you've never seen it, it's it really is great. Mm. Um, and it and better yet, it's a different show every season because of the nature of the show. It's yeah, so fucking clever. And and so when you tell me like, oh, something produced by Natasha Leone and Amy Poehler is this really witty, clever show? I'm like, well, fucking of course. That's <laughs> that's what she apparently does. So. <laughs> Uh, that's great though. All right. Um, Hey, that was fun. We had a, a substantive conversation there, Duncan. Mm-hmm. We should oh, I know we did. <laughs> flush that right down the toilet and let's turn our attention to true detective. We should podcast more often. <laughs> we should do this. Like, you... We should make a thing out of this. Uh-huh. Like we should have like a witty name and like we should review things like TV shows. Oh, that'd be cool. 
Lord, that'd be nice. <laughs> oh, so much, so much, so much awesomeness to get through here. You Episode thing, five. Oh, what? You know, the, like, the only thing that might, because we were all about old man, uh, old man Hayes, and we were all into that. And then the only thing that can usurp that from the the sea of awesome that was that performance is old man Dorf. Honestly, old man Dorf is something to behold. Let's talk about how eerily similar my life and old man Dorf's are. <laughs> I didn't want to get there. It was, um, I am re- look replace dogs with cats. I know. I'll tell you what, man, I, I'm a, I'm the dog kennels away and I got the room. I've got a deck that looks right down on a yard that could have those kennels in like in a matter of a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's good or bad, but it was it was something that when I was watching I was like, fuck. That's that's a it's <laughs> a real mirror uh held up to my life. Um except I was never a cop. Uh, well, I was that we, that we know. I look, I was more hardcore, Duncan. I was a podcaster. Uh, yeah, I'm telling you right now, and cops get awards and promotions for what they do. Podcasters get nothing except criticism. That's right, and I don't know, eventual <laughs> and, and back shame. problems from sitting right, poor posture and hemorrhoids. <laughs> That's the the life of a podcaster. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't get uh, you don't like get a golden watch when you get when you retire. You get ointment for your hemorrhoids. <laughs> you just get a donut, <laughs> one of those, one of those a cushions gold, to sit on. A gold a gold sprayed donut. <laughs> yeah, or oh, don't sit on it. That won't actually help with the hemorrhoids. <laughs> oh, uh, oh let's, right, let's get episode serious. five, Duncan, mm-hmm. of season three of True Detective is in- starts. Well, sorry. Yeah, what's it called? It is entitled "If You Have Ghosts." Yep, and obviously dun, 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 starts dun, dun, with, dun, dun, <laughs> with dun, an explosion, dun, dun, doesn't dun, it? Because that's how the previous episode finished. So this one must start with an explosion. They're gonna they're gonna make us wait, Bo. Uh, Duncan. Speaking of making you wait, let's do some uh, important <laughs> business here. Written and directed by this. Nick Pizzolato. Yes. Uh, oh, is this directed as well? Yes, it is, Duncan. Inter- See, he did kind of pick the two best episodes for himself and that prickish move that I hate with people that direct and give themselves the best role in the movie. Um, yeah. Speaking of, did you hear that they're going to re-release, what is it? Is it Waterworld or The Postman? I think it's The Fucking Postman. With Why would you do that? 40 extra minutes. See, I've, I bought the Arrow Waterworld release which has three cuts of that movie on the uh, on the release which is kind of fucking nuts <laughs> i didn't know there was three cuts of Waterworld. you should um, never watch Waterworld more than twice oh i love Waterworld. Uh, so right. it's, it's a terrible movie but mm. i kind of love it it's worth it just to see hopper go fucking crazy in that hopper's in charge of a large oil boat <laughs> <laughs> That's great, but there's a whole lot of like Kevin Costner is just not a good director. At the end of the day, and, he's not a good director, and I would argue at times not a great actor. <laughs> right, and he likes to shoot himself not being a great actor a lot. And and every movie he directed was about four and a half hours long, and two and a half hours of it is him staring meaningfully at the camera. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm not. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that I like what Waterworld is the right level of cheese for me to to get on board. Um, 
they should never the postman on the other hand is a fucking bad time <laughs> let's let's not do that i would rather watch the postman than Waterworld. actually you're a but it's lunatic uh, it's because of will Patton. i think will Patton is a good villain yeah will Patton is a great villain but Plus, dennis hopper dennis hopper you took out my eye <laughs> i how about this hey aren't you yeah i used to be him that moment in the postman is the most cringeworthy and most wonderful thing that has ever happened in cinema. Because a Tom Petty should be in everything, mm-hmm. and it's sad that he's gone, and his ghost yes. should now be in everything. <laughs> I think it is, Bo. Oh. You just have to look hard for it. Oh, if only that were true. Like if he does like a three minute a baby in the background of every scene in every movie. Hey, hey, keep free falling, y'all. Tom Petty. <laughs> Oh, hey. How did we get into that? How did you end up talking about that? Stop dragging my heart around, everybody. It's because I was I was talking about performances by. Um, it's when like directors put themselves. Okay, yeah, know. I got distracted because Kevin Costner does that, and it pisses me off. Where yeah. he he should he should not direct or act. He should just stay out of movies for a little while. <laughs> I think he has. But <laughs> no, he was in Man of Steel and. Yeah, but that's one movie in the last decade. <laughs> I got to be honest; I've never seen enough of Man of Steel to see Kevin Costner in Man of Steel. He's in it kind of early, but <laughs> I know I, I get to the fishing boat and I'm fucking done. <laughs> as soon as as like the dragons on Krypton are are one thing where I'm like, oh, I don't like this. And then the first shot of Superman is like it, fucking deadliest catch Superman version. I'm like, fuck you. This is one of what I, I don't want to see this in a Superman movie. I will, I will spring up a bit of a controversy that will upset you right now. I'll tell you one movie I couldn't give less of a fuck about is that Captain Marvel movie. Looks like hot trash. Yeah, uh, that's fine. Uh, you don't have to be into that. Like that. That's for nerds like me. That this is one for the the hometown it looks team. Like, it looks like a CGI mess. Paul. Fuck, I don't care, man. The More fact than most. <laughs> uh, look, Captain Marvel. Not one of my favorite characters. The fact they're doing a Captain Marvel movie at all blows my mind. Fuck, I'll go see it. I'll see what it is. This, um, is how, this is how they do this, though. They're like that. This is one that people don't care about, so we'll put it out anyway because people will go and see it. Right, because every now and again you get a Guardians of the Galaxy out of it, and that movie's a, 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 a real joy. Don't go and see these movies. Don't support them. Anyway, so it's 1990, Duncan. We're not, in fact, blowing up a porch full of Captain Marvels. Motherfuckers. So it's the Task Force. Oh, yeah, this this whole show is one big cock tease. Don't kid yourself. The, <laughs> the task force is going over like this revelation that, hey, here's Julie on the video because Hayes is like, this is her. And mm-hmm. uh, they're like, hey, we, we'll put this out there. I love how it starts with uh, Dorf basically stealing um, Hayes's theory from the previous episode. Remember when the, like he basically said he's like that, listen, we need to find her quick because other people will be other people are going to hunt her down. And he's like, well, I don't know if that's true. Can they shot it down? This episode starts with Stephen Dorf saying, listen, we need to find her because there could be other people hunting her too. I'm like, you have literally just stolen what I, that guy said. Right, but in know? the last episode, um Hayes did that to him. So yeah, I, there's a, there's a, there's an interesting dynamic I want to talk about later on in this one about whether or not I think um, 
uh, Stephen Dorff's character in the past and maybe in the future is kind of either playing dumb or maybe isn't is very in, it's interesting how he interacts with Hayes and that he almost is kind of seeing things to deliberately pro- provoke an answer from him like seeing something and kind of sitting back and looking at him to see what does he think so I can agree or disagree yeah. uh, most likely agree or steal he does it quite a lot in this episode in a way that I kind of love and then when you see well we'll get to it but when you see the dynamic when they're old men um, you kind of actually see that maybe Dorf was doing uh, Dorf cared a bit more from them than we actually thought he did in the earlier time frames which is one another reason why I fucking love this show yeah um, the layers bowl I don't know if you know this but ogres are like onions oh just don't even you can get that shrek shit right out of here <laughs> they're like cakes but this is a shrek free zone duncan despite your outlandish accent yeah. D- dorf on shrek um <laughs> which I'm, look- I'm looking for well <laughs> somebody once told him this world is gonna roll them haze purple purple you haze. ain't the the sharpest tool in the shed so, so yeah so anyway it kicks off with this they're like Hayes is convinced like he is this is our fugitive's name is little Julie Purcell or whatever mm, name is. yeah Julie Purcell and so they they're going over the evidence they've got which is hey we discovered the the, the mother's body in Las Vegas she OD'd but that totally fits her profile so this doesn't look suspicious wink wink um well uh, yeah well the, the like see when i heard that she died of an overdose what like an episode ago i was like of course she did that's how that was always going to happen and then i saw the crime scene photo and i was like hashtag staged <laughs> <laughs> yeah well but it's all staged duncan it's a television show yeah, um but, but like, like no, no one ODs ODs like that <laughs> <laughs> right with the like the rubber around the arm and the needle in and all that stuff. Get, it's it just a bit too perfect for yeah. an OD in it, my world. <laughs> it it does it answers every question of how did this person die? Uh, oh, hold on, shit. Are you okay? <laughs> I thought you died there. <laughs> answers all the questions of how Bo died. No, no, no. My microphone keeps falling. I got to get a new uh, mount for it. Uh, so. Uncle Dan has done a turn for bad checks and he disappears in Las Vegas in 87 and they're like purple that's in Las Vegas too maybe it's a clue it's a clue and so Scooter McSober shows up (laughs) Scooter Mick gonna fall off the wagon in the next episode oh hard just you wait and he says uh, that they want him to make a statement after this discovery of, of the videotape. And he sees the pictures on the board, and he's like, what are y'all doing with them pictures of my wife? Who is that little girl? Is that her? And Hayes and uh, Dwarf on Drama are like, you got to get the fuck out of here. And um, Dwarf is against it. But Hayes shows him the the picture taken from the surveillance tape. Mm. And Scooter Mick, surprised, is like, is that my little girl? Is that my baby? And and (laughs) 
Dorf on Rest says, you need to go home. And and sends him away. And then Hayes goes back into the room where all the other detectives are and sees a note on the board that says, the Woodard altercation. And, And then one of the detectives is like, hey, weren't you in that? And he's like, yeah, let me flashback. I'll show you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, let's let's flash back to the, the chapter that I like to call We Need to Talk About Woodard. Um <laughs> Yeah, so Woodard's been wound tied for a little while, as we know. He got beat up by some locals. Um he is suffering some serious PTSD from his experience in Nam, finding it a bit difficult to readjust to normal life, and they are you know, that these guys have attacked him. And from the moment, I forgot this actually, it was only when I watched the episode number three back again when he gets attacked for the first time, that as soon as he gets attacked, he goes right home and gets that bag of guns. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Th- this so has that, that, been burned. So that altercation, that altercation he had with the kids is purely a, a setup. Right. Must be. Must be because he's armed the fucking house. He's deliberately went down to talk to the kids because he knows for a fact I talk to those kids. Those fuckers come to my house. They come to my house. Shit's going down. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, I, I kind of think that's awesome. It's like one of those elements that I just never. I watched it back because I'm I'm formulating theories, Bo. I've been formulating theories. Like here's an interesting theory. I just want to throw a curveball in here. Uh, the the mother parcel, whatever her name is again. Uh-huh. Lucy. Um, yep. She has a rather rotund friend. Mm-hmm. Could she be involved? Uh potentially. It definitely I mean, we'll get to it, but this is all tied into the Hoyt stuff. Yeah. C- c- can I tell you why I think she might be involved? Please do. Because what did the girls say that the well, what did the kids say? Uh, no, specifically the young girl. Who did she say that she was going to visit to the priest? Uh, her aunt. Her aunt. And they said that she didn't have an aunt. Mm-hmm. But what do you call a close female rel- uh, friend of the family to your kids? Uh, you call her uh, Clara. <laughs> you motherfucker. You call the man an uncle. Like, like, like you're like, I, I've got like two or three friends, close friends of mine that to my daughter, she calls them aunt and uncle. Um, Because that's what you do. It's a weird thing that people do just to confuse their children as to how, you know, relations work. Um, But yeah, so like to me, I was thinking about that. I was like, female friend, she's appeared kind of as this background character who's still appearing, we're going to talk about in the next episode, um, as this kind of background character and close to the mother um there may be something about the mother coming up but I, I, it's like i was thinking to myself could she be the mysterious aunt so could, could she be involved so we're going to park that just now bo um but yeah this the setup of woodard setting up the he's basically set up the tim's folk because he had all this stuff ready uh, and one of them involved a claymore mine which he is put right behind the door and attached it to some strings uh, facing outwards as well. So the blast hits uh, anyone that kicks that door down, Bo, and we jump back to the exact scene of them. You come out here, you son of a bitch, Woodard! Yeah. Um, and banging on the door, and then what happens, Bo? Well, the redneck uh, 
kicks in the door and you know the claymore explodes and yep. everything uh is fucking chaos as woodard starts racking up headshots like he's playing call of duty <laughs> This was his thing, wasn't he? He was a sniper. Yeah. So. so it's just like you see like people's heads just exploding around them. <laughs> and there's a point, and it comes up again, you know, later, where uh Hayes is rushing around a car and two bullets hit the car door where he's standing. Mm-hmm. And then Dorf and Hayes try to go around back while Woodard is shooting rednecks, popping their heads. Uh, like he's fucking master chief and they're the covenant, but it's a total, it's a total clusterfuck because one of the FBI guys shoots one of the, the rednecks. Uh huh. And then he gets shot. Right. And yeah. And then now the, you know, some other cops have shown up and what are shooting them too. Yeah. And, which instantly, as soon as he shoots the cops, it's like, this is not ending well for Woodard at all now. Like you right. can get away with it. And I think he makes a line later on. We'll get to it. But as soon as you kill a cop, you're fucked. Yeah, but that's like all bets are off now. Um, and what's interesting about this one, we talked about this before, the fact that um, Hayes had said in a previous episode that Dorf had taken a bullet. Um, so I'd always assumed that he'd taken a bullet probably from Woodard. Turns out I was wrong about that as well. Yeah. <laughs> he, he took it from a redneck. Yeah, well, because as they're going around back, some rednecks have the same idea and they just step on a mine. That, that that Woodard has put out there. Can I and, just say, and all this, all the scenes, Bo, that we've had of the action scenes from like season one, that was that big long shot in the ghetto. Season two, it was that shootout in the warehouse scene. Like in terms of how long the scene goes on for, and bang for your buck, this might be my favorite. It's pretty good. I mean, there's it's fucking awesome. It, there's a substantial body count. Uh, Ten, it turns out. Uh, we learn later, and. <laughs> Um, so after the rednecks got blowed up with a mine, one of them who falls ends up shooting Dorf in the leg Yeah, and he goes down. So Hayes is like, you cool. And he's like, yeah, purple. And then (laughs) Hayes runs back around to the front. Is he voiced by the voice that we used for David Bowie's kettle in Twin Peaks season? (laughs) Yeah. Kind of sounds like his toot toot. Hi there. (laughs) <laughs> hi, hi, purple. Um, yeah, we'll get to it. So he, uh, Hayes sneaks back around to the front and goes through the big hole in the fucking wall. Yeah, it goes through where there used to be a door. Uh-huh. And sneaks up behind Woodard. And then, you know, he's like, I got you. Put down your gun. And Woodard doesn't. But he also stops shooting and he just kind of freezes in place. And they have this exchange Love this exchange. It, it's really good. Where Woodard basically says, "Like, hey, I'm not. You know, as soon as I shot a cop, I knew what was what where this was going." And Hayes, to his credit, says, "Look, there's there's shit the VA can do for you. You need to chill out. I can. I will help you to the best of my ability." And then, <laughs> in a really badass moment, uh, Woodard is like, "You know." When I double tapped the door, that was just me letting you know. And, he's, yeah. and and Hayes goes, you saved my life. Now let me do you the same favor. Mm-hmm. And it, and then uh, ultimately, Woodard says, I'm going to count to three in my head. And I'm going to turn around and give you a full burst. And uh, Hayes is like, don't put this shit on me. 
And it, it's a really nice moment of like, look, you're you're trying to put your death on my on my shoulders. And he tells him like, I got enough shit to deal with. I don't need this too. And Woodard, sure enough, starts to turn on him. And Hayes puts him down, shoots him in the head. Back into the left, Paul. Back uh-huh. into the left. And Back into the left. <laughs> yeah. And, and immediately Hayes is fucked up about this. Yeah. And like uh, sits down, a bunch of cops rush in and he's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm police too. Uh, but is because he's a black man and he knows what happens when police rush in a house and there's a black man in there. (laughs) Not, he's not wrong. Um, so then we cut from that to 1990, where uh, we see Hayes and uh, Dorf watching a press conference where Scooter McSad is uh, like talking to the, the press saying he wants Julie to come home or to, to call that nobody's mad at her, all that, you know, it's a typical, mm-hmm. it's smart, you know, using, using her name a lot. That way he'll see her <laughs> as a person. My daughter's name is Catherine. Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> it's always, always goes back. Heavens, yeah. uh, <laughs> the nipples. Um, so someone asks, if uh, if he believes Woodard was innocent, um, and uh, he says, "Well, I, you know, I don't know," um, mm-hmm. and and instantly the the DA steps in pretty quick here to to field questions, yeah, because um, he doesn't want any. Because remember his his whole kind of political bent in this situation is to make sure that the conviction stands against Woodard because he's built his entire career off the back of this. Yes. Um, and, and has even given the marching orders to Dorf and Hayes. Yeah. Like your job is to, is to prove that the conviction was good. And, and so the AG gets questioned uh, some more and we're told that um, essentially like Woodard got it. This is the reveal. Like Woodard was accused of this murder in 1980. Yes. And, yes. So yeah, he's, he's the, uh, no, who, I think we both thought he might end up in an untimely end. I don't think either of us thought they would pin it on him. Yeah, like that character seemed to be like he was going to go down a dark path. And I always thought it was going to be Dan that ultimately got it pinned on him. Um, yeah, I was kind of I, I was kind of in a similar boat. I think what's interesting is that the justification for it is probably one that is grounded heavily in reality, where the DA is like, basically, he, you know, <laughs> he, uh, like, well, when we get to that scene anyway, you know, he's like, the town is hurting, and this will this will heal the town. We just need to yeah. close this case and move on. And we have a body, and you know, this guy's obviously killed a lot of cops. He's a bad guy anyway. We can just we have some evidence. We we'll just lump it all in here. Um, but yeah, as he is doing his best to try and talk up, his former assistant shows up with the uh, Woodard's kids and then starts speaking very loud over the top and gives his own impromptu little press conference. Um, and at that point, the DA is like, "Right, let's get out of here." Runs off, and this guy's basically like, you know, his kids are here. That you know, they, they want justice. Uh, wrong, wrongful conviction of these kids on on this man who's you know, deeply troubled, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and the press are all talking to him. And then he comes across to speak to Hayes. And Hayes is not exactly happy. <laughs> well, he's got a very complicated 
relationship with with this family in that he's the guy who killed Woodard. Yeah. Plus did, this guy is using that this whole thing as a chance to take political pot shots at his former boss. Probably for the same reason that he might want to make a run for the same job. Yeah, and and there's the the I- deeper issue with Hayes, I think, is and the 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 quote he has is that he he's pissed at Woodard for making him carry his water. Yeah. And that, but he also doesn't, I think, you know, and we'll see more on this later, but in his heart of hearts, doesn't believe he's guilty of, of this, yeah, of, well, of, we of ca- this crime. We, we also kind of knew that, well, we knew on some level, whoever was going to get pinned for the 80s crime here, he didn't believe that was the case. We knew that in the 90s from when he got brought back in, he was like, you know, I, he never, he never believed the official story. So this doesn't surprise me at this stage. He's like, you know, yeah, it was never him to begin with, et cetera, et cetera. So um, this is why, I, once again, this is one of the reasons I really love this show, is that it is setting up things and it's giving me satisfactory answers, if not really good answers, are confirming or completely disproving my theories without, like annoying me, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not like I know what's coming, so come on, let's just get to, let's get to. It's taking me on a really interesting journey to get to that, or it's taking me on a really interesting journey. And we're getting to the point, and it's not where I thought it was going, and a satisfying way where I'm like, yeah, that totally works. It's not just flung in there as a a red herring. Um, and what I like about this is he's is once again like he's is in a damned if you do, damned if you don't position, right? So the DA is basically telling him, told the fucking party line, do your fucking job the way I want you to do it, back up my claims and everything will be peaches and cream for you, you're going to get your job back, maybe a wee commendation back and, and more meaningful work that you like doing. Or you follow this other dude who's basically his former assistant is probably trying to run for the same office who's basically saying, listen, you know, um, we're going to stick it to this guy here. You know, if you do your job, find it what I want. All these accolades might come your way as well. So he's a tool for two people that he doesn't really like. And all he's really interested in is solving the fucking case. Mm-hmm. Um, which I love that idea. And I think that's, once again, what True Detective does really, really well, is like setting up these stories where like the, the, the detectives themselves are... All they want to do is solve the case. All they want to do is solve the crime. But they are so easily malleable into these positions of of making powerful men even more powerful. Right. Well, because there's a game being played above them. And they yes. the, these characters are pawns in that game to some degree. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I think that's I think that's what this show maybe does better than pretty much any other police base show yeah uh, maybe outside something like the shield or something uh where people above and even the shield it was done more in an eternal aspect but this show does that really well about this idea that um power equals bad that's that's genuinely nick pisolato's view in the world is the more power more influence you have the more of a fucking conniving scheming cunt you're likely to be um Right. Well, um, what, it, yeah. it it I think larger it's when when there is no one to judge you. Yeah. You you will do terrible things. Yes. Yeah, you yeah. know, that left to your own devices, your and and the power that comes with uh you know, that sort of authority where w- what you do is beyond question or or you're just in a position where, position where you can hide the the evil shit that runs through your subconscious. 
Um, you know, as soon as you start indulging yourself in that kind of thing and can get away with it, that's when things get real dangerous. And yeah, you you surround yourself by people who their careers are propped up by what you have done as well. So if you come down, you're taking everyone down with you and almost makes you uh, immune Right to scrutiny by people uh, below them because your leaders are indebted to that guy as well, which basically means that you can only ever go so far before you're you're pushed back down. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, it's it, it's good stuff, and it, again, it's very season one kind of stuff. Th- this season is very much like uh, um, you know the Detective Awakens um, <laughs> or something. Where it's like, yeah, 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 this reminds me a lot of the one I like a lot. Um, so, <laughs> so um, it's time to go visit an old friend, Duncan. Old oh. friends. This makes me so happy because, like, I. <laughs> there are times when, like, we once again thought maybe was this guy no longer a rainbow. Oh, look. So here comes Freddie Burns, y'all. Yep. And Freddie Burns uh, now has a wife. Uh, his life seems kind of shitty. He's got kind of a crummy house. You know, he's uh, got a, a bit of a man bun going on. Yeah, uh, haunted to his very core by the threats of sexual assault in prison from his, like, some 10 years earlier. I mean, yeah. that, didn't, that didn't stick with him. <laughs> no, so, he, yeah, he resents Hayes in particular. For com- do you remember how bad this kid cried? He cracked him like an egg. <laughs> yeah. And Hayes is like, how about you just stop being such a fucking pussy, man? Uh, oh, the, like, the bit that comes after this in the car is, uh, is fucking amazing. <laughs> and- I think it talks like it shows how different the characters are. Because I think 1980s Hayes, remember how he left this? He was like, that. listen. This kid, 25, and he's as wrong about it as well. This kid, 25, is going to be in prison for something else. He's not the killer. You know, I yeah. said those things to him, but he's not a killer. Like, you know, let's just, it's like, we've went hard on him, let's go back. It turns out 90s he's not as, not as a, not as forgiven on the, the youth of today. No. At all. No. Um, it, it just, I mean, like, Hayes' point of view is just like, you need a man the fuck up. Yeah. And, and I think Freddie's position rightfully is like, you may have picked on me for being a shitty high school kid and bullying some younger kids, but you as a, an adult bullied a child yeah, and, and you, it, it you, fucked completely me up. Abused, yeah, yeah. Completely abused your authority. And what's worse about it is, I, I mean, you did it thinking you were right. Yeah. You're on the side of right. And you, you've got a badge to let you do it. You've got a badge that makes you a killer. Because you know, I saw you in the papers. I know that you killed that guy. I like I, I know all about you. And yeah, like there's there's a there's a great bit that builds up to you know him like almost thinking that he's is going to hit him, and he's is like no, I just like we're here just to ask you some questions. What's really interesting is that when he's talking about he talks about the the boy running about trying to find his sister. So his sister's missing at this point, but he mentions them. Yeah. They ran off. They ran off. And he's like, Who, who's they? And at this point, you're like, uh, he's having, Freddie Burns is having no more of this, but as they're walking out, you get a real insight into the damage that can be done when 
like at the time we joked about it, we were like that, you know, like he did the old uh, you know, run a train with black men in the mm-hmm. in the jail, you know what I mean, and all the rest. But we did forget that he did say that to a school kid. Right. You know what I mean? It's different saying that to a seasoned like a criminal, yeah. Criminal, yeah, who's maybe done a bit of time inside or is is heading towards that way or has always kind of been heading towards that way. But he picked a kid who, on the basis of he purely wore different sort of T-shirts. I mean, this this whole fucking season has satan- satanic panic ripping out it. I mean, it's all this idea of um, Dungeons and Dragons and metal music and, and all these things that was heavily associated with with you kind of ease satanic panic in there and and ways which is not overplaying its hand but basically you know he, he brought this kid in there and because the kid wasn't wasn't giving them the answers he wanted he basically threatened them with jail and rape i mean and that has an effect and i, I love this idea like because we're all the way through this we'd be like you know he's just a good guy he's getting that and then you realize at these moments that Hayes was so headstrong in trying to get his answers that I was even thinking about this further. Like I watched episodes two and three again. See when he collects the toys, like that he finds, right? Uh, no gloves. Yeah, no, that's right. He's just like lifting them with his own hands. So I mean, I like, but when you see him at the beginning of the season, when he when he finds specific things bits of evidence right at the beginning like those dolls he doesn't lift them with his bare hands so it's almost as if like as time went on he's getting more relaxed with his approach to investigating he's not being as thorough as we've because we've been like that he's the guy you know he hunts people he's he's like that and there's a great scene later on where he's described as how good of a detective he is by Dorf and at first, you think it's a cast kind of throwaway line, but actually, there's evidence all through this show that he's actually not a great cop. He really isn't. I think he's he's foolishly headstrong, um, and at times, like abusive with his power to the point of you don't say shit like that to a kid, like at all, because that's what you do. You, you you've got to remember that if they haven't done it, you then send them out in the world with a completely different outlook on what the world is. You've you've shattered that kid's illusion of how the real world works, right? Um, and like drunkenly stealing a kid's bike and running around with it is a yeah. far cry from just wait till them bad boys find you in prison. <laughs> They're gonna make your asshole a pinata. Except it's not it's not delicious candy that's gonna come out. It's oh, gonna be a bunch of people's sperms. <laughs> it's but you know what I mean I, 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 I think yeah, I think this is a really powerful scene, but what's ultimately brought out of this is nothing real in substance out with a lot of stuff that we already knew, but now the fact that maybe the boy went off with someone. Or the girl did. Oh, and the, the boy was yeah. looking for yeah. for for the, this mysterious they. So in theory, if the girl was looking for her aunt, presumably she found the aunt, and that's who uh, that's who the boy is looking for is this yeah. mystery aunt and uh, and Julie. And mm. they're in the car, and Dorf on etiquette is like, "Hey, man, that wasn't cool. Like you gave that guy a real hard time." And man, <laughs> it's at, like Hayes at this point is just in full self-righteousness mode. Oh, he sparks up a cigarette. <laughs> yeah, where he's he's smoking and he says, won't you tell me again how, about how hard it is being white in America? <laughs> I really want to hear about that. And 
you know, Dorf is like, hey, man, that's not what this is about. Like, you're you're just fucking with a kid. But, like, Dorf starts going... This is the bit I was talking about where he, Dorf's done this a lot in this TV show thus far, is he sets up a question specifically to Hayes because I think he wants he wants to like really pick at Hayes' brain and take out that information and formulate it somewhere. And generally he's been able to do that in the past. He ain't getting it this time. <laughs> yeah, no, Hayes is just lost in well, he's back in Vietnam, is what he is. He's, well, he says that, you know, it was like what, what's this you know, what was this kid doing? He was riding around on a bike, a stolen bike, drinking like booze and all the rest and like loitering about and stuff like that. What was I doing when his age? I was in the fucking jungle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so- and and Dorf is like, well, you know, I understand where you're coming from, but you know, we need to get back to checking on the people that they were meeting in the woods and let's run down the toys again. And what do you think purple? And Hayes is just like, you know what I think? I think the whole generation is a bunch of pussies. And it's (laughs) like, dude, (laughs) come on, man. Do you just need to take the rest of the day off? Which to be honest with you though, but isn't that there is a whole generation of Americans who served in that war that felt that way in the 80s. Well, sure. And, you know, this has a lot to do, obviously, with the treatment of Vietnam vets when they came back. It was considered such a shameful war that nobody nobody wanted to talk about it. And that meant nobody wanted to help the people that were wounded when they came back. Mm -hmm. And because that meant acknowledging that they whooped our hides real good. (laughs) And and I mean, I mean, I'm saying that jokingly, obviously, but no, there was a generation of young men. Uh, that were damaged by by that war and in in a number of ways you know people who mm-hmm. felt like they had to run away from the war the people who were drafted and had to go serve and uh you know my my uncle was a door gunner in uh in Vietnam which had in combat scenarios a 14 second life expectancy Ugh. and he, when he came back he was not the same dude you mm-hmm. know uh, like I didn't know I was too young for that. Like I, I was born the year Vietnam wrapped up, but, um, mm, my uncle convenient bull. I know. <laughs> or so the Germans would have you believe. Duncan. <laughs> um, but, but like, you know, my, my aunts and mom would tell me like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, and he was never, he wasn't freaked out or anything, but they were like, no, no, no. He just gets in mood sometimes. And that never happened before. But who knows what the fuck he saw while he was over there, and he never really talked about it, at least never to me. How I dodged the draft, the bull runs those story. <laughs> fuck, man, I would be, yeah, that's what would have happened. There's no way I could have done it. I mean, like, you, you want me to do what? You want me to go to a jungle and shoot at people? Yeah. Are you fucking <laughs> crazy? Not even, Like, you could do it as an adult. If I had been an 18-year-old in the prime of my life, Duncan... And been like, are you fucking high? Do you want, what on earth do you expect me to do over there but cower? Because that's what I'll do. I have no, I have no inherent bravery, Duncan. Not in a scenario like that where it's like, hey, for here's something that you don't give a shit about. Now go kill somebody for it. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, and, and, and hats off to the brave men and women of our military because God knows I fortunately I've aged out of that. Like they don't want my old ass anymore, but um, I I have nothing but respect for it, but it was never going to be my thing Um, Mm. anyway. But yeah, going back to the original point of all this, that yes, there was this generation that came after that. A lot of the Vietnam vets were like, 
you you guys got the benefit of not having to go to this t- terrible war and you're yeah. fucking soft you yeah. know and and that's not wrong like going to war will harden your ass up it doesn't mean that it's right but you know after you after you put your hand in a pile of goo that used to be your best friend's face you know after something like that happens to you when somebody's like you know ow shit i stubbed my toe it's like oh you shut the fuck right up Mm-hmm. You know, I broke my leg skateboarding. You shut your fucking mouth. Skate what? Yeah. Ooh. I'm going to sue McDonald's. I sport, I spilled hot coffee in my lap. You know what I spilled in my lap one time? The <laughs> brains of a Vietnamese operative. I pureed his, his brains inside his skull while his companion watched so I could get information out of him. Cracked his head because I was so delirious. I thought it was a coconut. Right? Yeah, yeah. I I'd been John McCaining it for two years. <laughs> oh, that's a. I'll tell you what. That's a fucking man. I mean, it's dead now, but at the time, Duncan, John McCain, like somebody that's like uh, so, Duncan. If somebody, if you were in a Vietnamese prisoner of war camp. And someone came up to you and was like, hey, man, you want to get the fuck out of here? And you say, mm, nah, I'm good. Not until everyone here goes. Mm. That is not the choice I would make, Duncan. I would be fucking <laughs> stateside with a pina colada <laughs> being like, boy, it sucks that they couldn't come back with me because this is great. <laughs> I am so much better off than I was in that tiger cage. In a jungle where beetles the size of my foot were picking at my flesh every time I tried to sleep. <laughs> yes, I will have more fried mushrooms. <laughs> where were we in the show? Oh, yeah. Dwarf and Hayes. Like I see, what we have here is um, Dorf kind of really pressing Hayes for a bit of that kind of he's detecting skill specifically on on his view on the toys um that were found and yeah he's in in in, in playing this game <laughs> no, yeah no he's real he's closed for business it's it's like when uh ray sees the uh stay puff marshmallow man <laughs> and it's just useless ray. to the team for about 30 minutes ray ray's gone bye-bye <laughs> what have you got for me egon terrified behind all right ra- beyond all rational thought <laughs> <laughs> that's a movie if push come to shove i could probably write the screenplay from memory <laughs> oh, i didn't know we were going this way uh oh. so um <laughs> Dorf on Leeds and Hayes are interviewing a guy that uh, has been on the streets because they they got a tip that uh, he just some guy who kind of came came to the station as a result of the press conferences and whatnot. He remembers someone named Mary July, Mm. uh, who he says had trouble remembering what year it was, Duncan. And uh, he says, because time isn't is strange on this show. Yeah, and, time is a flat circle. I don't know if you know that, Bo. I had heard that, not in regards to True Detective. I can't remember where <laughs> I heard it. I think it was Growing Pains originally. And uh, But uh, she, he says, well, she might have been on drugs. 
And all I know for sure was that she had a brother who'd gone missing. Which he's instantly snaps out of this generation's full of pussy stuff. What did you say? Right. Oh, do I have a clue now? Um, and they they persuade him to jot down some names of people who might have known what uh, he calls a, the princess from the pink rooms. Yeah, which might seem like a throwaway line, but trust me, you're it's going to come up again, and you're you're going to get payoff. Yeah, if you're watching this show though. And you hear, yeah, she said the princess from the pink rooms. It's like, that is the truest detectivist thing yeah, I've ever fucking heard. Fucking the Yellow King in Carcosa. I mean, come on. Yes. It's like basically what Nick Pisolato's done is he's looked at how uh, Jowls used to be named by picking a color um, or an animal and like a weird object and you piece them all together. And he's like, every single season, I will have my king and the the yellow king carcosa so in this one yeah we have the the, the um what was it the pink the the princess in the pink room um so yeah so on gray velvet like, yeah on gray velvet and um how they get him to write this down is by basically saying listen you do this you got a police favor somewhere down the line because listen we know you're going to fuck up somewhere it's going to be a small fuck up um, and you can you can cash in this iou He's in Dorf card, and we will say, right, this guy's all right, let him off. Right. Um, whether they do that or not, it's a completely other story. I get the film, they probably won't. He's uh. probably threaten him with Black Dong uh, in prison and then have him cry. Uh, I think but, Dorf would help him out. Like, well, this yeah. one's all right. He helped us yeah. out. <laughs> toot, toot. Um, so. <laughs> hey. It, Hi. He's one of the um, good ones, y'all. So, so yeah, so they, they get some names down here and um so yeah, so they, they have something they can go on, but it, it seems like this might be bearing fruit this avenue that they're going down. Right, and Hayes says that he's operating from the place of until we find her, then as far as we're concerned, this is Mary July is Julie Purcell. Yeah, it's her name. Until they can discount her, it's that, that's right. her name. That, right, that is our working theory. So then we jump forward to 2015, and um, Hayes is talking to the director again, and he, he's saying, you know, we talked to a bunch of people, but it was a lot of dead ends. And then she says, uh, hey, what about this guy, Harris James? And he's like, who? And she's yeah. like, <laughs> uh, and she hands him a file, and it's, the, it's a guy who worked the Woodard crime scene, Yes. Who happened to go missing in nineteen ninety all mysterious like <laughs> and and so uh the director Sarah Gadon uh says, you know it's weird how a lot of people around this case have gone missing, and Hayes says a lot of people do that, almost yeah. everybody I ever knew was gone. your generation's a bunch of pussies also yeah also <laughs> pussies. <laughs> And then we flash back to 1990, where it's Amelia and Hayes going on a date to uh, Dorf and his girlfriend, Lori. Yeah. And Dorf on domesticated living. Dorf on the high life. 
Um, yeah. And Did you see that pad? Did you see that for a lieutenant? See that pad? Well, and, and Lori, his girlfriend, is like, well, he was always a renter, and I was telling him, you make enough now that you need a house. And he's like, well, you know, Purple, every now and again, you just got to settle down, I guess. And so they, they have a, a fairly nice dinner up until Amelia brings up the case. Yeah, because Amelia's book, we know Amelia's book is about to drop. So this yeah. is the time frame. Her book covering up to the point where she thought the girl was dead is just days away from dropping. And she now knows that there's a, been a break in the case. And instead of thinking, I will put my energy and focus into putting this book out, she is already planning book number two, Bo. Oh, yeah, the sequel, the the murdering. <laughs> and um, as soon as she starts bringing up the book, Hayes is just like, how about we don't talk about this right now? And she's like, no, 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 I'm interested in the case. And J- Lori ain't helping anything because she's like, I'm interested in it, too. Yeah, and of course, like this is right. The the thing about this is like Dorf's a bit of a dick here. Dorf on dick, because um, <laughs> he like just a couple of seconds before he's just talking about marriage, and she's like, uh, she's, "Oh, this is a sore subject and all the rest." And, and Dorf's like, "Don't be coming into my home and stirring up some shit." And then he sees the potential conflict between <laughs> his uh, and his missus, and what does he start doing? feeding information <laughs> even when he knows that he's just like that right we don't need to do this year we shouldn't be talking about this year just let it go what does Dorf do feed some more information oh, out. yeah he's completely purple, like oh, hey purple just chill for a second now little lady we found this bitty <laughs> tape looks like her we don't know for sure and he's just like you son of a bitch <laughs> and, and, and this argument that's going on between him and Amelia, where, oh, he's, where it is, it is borderline a full blown fight, but it is yeah, just it's like one of those awkward ones where it's just like a couple of hushed words. Uh, look, uh, thank you all for a lovely evening. I'm just going to get some fresh air, and you're like, "Oh shit's about to kick off." It's it's like watching two player, two tennis players who are playing too close to the net, where mm. it's just like bam, 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 and like. We'll talk about this when we get home. Oh, we're going to talk about this when we get home. Now, what is it we're going to be talking about? Yeah, he like, says we're going right. to talk about we're going to talk about what you did. I think <laughs> right. that's what he says. What and you've been like, getting up to? Yeah, and she's know. like, "What I've been getting up to?" Yeah, and she's kind of like, like she, she says it to herself, like kind of, "What I've been getting?" She's like, "Motherfucker!" Right, and he's just like, "How about we just chill for a second? Because we're here with my friend who is kind of my boss." And she's like, "No." You started this shit. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so this is all simmering. And, it, and it's pretty good. I like, I weirdly, I don't normally like scenes like this, but I kind of like watching Amelia and Hayes fight because uh, they're kind of good at it. Yeah, any, any scene with it. I think they're maybe the best written relationship in any of the True Detective series. Yeah. Between a man and a woman. I think it would be easily the best in that. It's 100% believable. Like, everything in here is 100% believable. And what's really interesting is the, the spin-off argument here that we're, we're going to get into when they get back to the house, he says something that I think hypothesized in a previous episode. Um, if I didn't, I certainly, I certainly had it in the front of my mind, which links to 
like father like son. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know I'm being kind of like oblique here and stuff, but you know, like the like she storms out. He pours himself a, a big old glass at. This is one for the road, which I will need wine. Um, <laughs> yeah, a roadie, sure. Yeah, sinks that drink, goes out and gets her, um, and, and they head off. So they're they're now on their way home. Yep. But before we get back to the fight that's brewing, yeah. <laughs> we, we go back to 2015 where Hayes is reading her book and he's going over in particular the scene with uh, Lucy Purcell in the kitchen with Amelia. It, it's where Amelia tells her, uh, tells Lucy like, Hey, you can trust Hayes. You can talk to Hayes. Yeah. And interestingly, what catches Hayes's eyes is Amelia's report of her talking about how there was no laughter in the home. Yeah, she says that specifically it's the line children should laugh. Yes. Um, now I like see I I picked up on this at the time, but I just thought the reason she'd mentioned it is because the letter had mentioned it. So like she'd already received the letter in the the letter which we're about to talk about um in the letter it specifically has the line children should laugh so when Amelia went to speak to her I thought the reason she'd said this was because she justified this as the reason the kids have been taken she's like you know in hindsight you know the person that sent this that said children should laugh almost knew that it'd been a miserable household and yeah children do deserve to laugh so she was referencing this Hayes has taken a completely different position on this one in that he'd never read the book before and because he'd never read the book before he'd never seen this line and as such had never tied because this has never been reported to the police this was obviously a, a an interview for the book so he's never tied it back to the letter which I'm thinking Amelia must have seen so why she's not tied up together is weird but um he's like that oh you know maybe should have read this book a while ago um and he you know brings out the the letter and right enough and there it says children should laugh so yeah. and the hint being that maybe she wrote the letter or maybe she composed the letter which i still think is a bit of a stretch but yeah well so there is some connection in hayes's mind at this point so um we also have a glimpse of a car parked outside again, making Hayes feel paranoid. Edgy. Yeah. And then we go back to 1990 and get to the fight that we've been waiting for. Yeah. Yeah. So like, they arrive, uh, the mother-in-law's there. She's been looking after the kids. She leaves. And then we build up to uh, Hayes, Amelia, round three. Because this is the third time we've seen a big old Barney in the Hayes household. Yeah. Well, he's pissed because he found out when he went to Salas Law or whatever uh, to to look at the videotape the officer there dropped the line about like, oh yeah, she had uh, the the woman who visited here had an ex-husband who was a cop. And yeah. this has been sticking in Hayes' craw. And he's like, so you've been telling people we're getting a divorce? And she's like, hey, I said it to kind of half-ass flirt with this dumb officer because if he thought he, I was single, you know, I would get better access, essentially. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, she did. And then she says... <laughs> Uh, he he's like, you know, you're using people to essentially she uses people to make herself bigger, is well, the way he puts she, it. Yeah, but I think she uses people. She's been using everyone from the start. Like, see all the see if you look back from that conversation, 
she's like the, one of the first things she says to Hayes right back at the very beginning is she's a school teacher, but she feels a bit kind of uh, uh, uninspired. What she really wants to do is write a book, and then just so happens that this case comes up, so she's tapping him literally for answers. Um, that's not really stopped. The case has started getting interesting again. It's coming back, so she's doing the same again, and it's almost as if. She has kind of, I mean, they've obviously fallen in love and built a life out of it, but it's almost like their relationship started off under these kind of false pretenses of she's going to use this guy to get some information out of him, and then if it goes further, great. If it doesn't, whatever. Oh, I, then, I didn't read it like that, but... Yeah, I totally read it like that. And then what I what I went one step further is I thought, what is Hazy's son doing at the moment? He's sleeping with a director who's trying to make <clears throat> a TV like documentary thing, literally using him to get access to his dad. So it's like the Hayes boys have this weakness. There's this blinker thing on there where basically history is repeating itself again. Yeah, if it's somebody, well, but if if it's somebody that's kind of, uh, you know, to to use jerk faces uh, word, exciting later. Um, yeah, that you know, which, yeah, that obviously Amelia is exciting. That she is interested in the shit that he is interested in, but just from a different direction. She's the sort of woman that says, "Let's go get drunk and get a hotel room and fuck." Right, and then you know I mean? like while we're post coital, we're gonna talk about this murder case because that's what like there's an element of her being entertained by it, and there there's an element I think this season of a, a little bit of a conversation about you know crime journalism and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, true true crime specifically because it's everywhere now. Like right. it, like and it's every like true crime podcast, true crime TV shows, true crime novels is absolutely we have an obsession for it and um yeah, I, I get the feeling that Nick Pisolato's having some fun. Sure. Sure. And so one of my favorite lines in this argument comes when Amelia says, "I'm sick of you pretending to be too dumb to see how full of shit you are." <laughs> And it's like, man, that is a convoluted argument, but it is a hundred percent right. Does it, he not? Does he not counter by saying, you know, um, I can't believe that you still can't read me right or something? Yeah, all this time you still don't know me, and and she's like, I motherfucker, I know you. <laughs> and so I, I like the fact that they're both kind of right here, of course. Yeah. And but that's a, a relationship, right? Like they're angry at each other because they're the people they are. Yeah, and, and they, they know each other's weaknesses because that's what happens in a relationship. The longer you spend time with someone, the more you know what to say to upset them and infuriate them. It's like you, you gain a special power to instantly upset your spouse. Yeah, and and so in the at the height of this argument, the kids interrupt because the daughter, Rebecca, is sick. Mm. And and what I like about this is that they immediately stop arguing and go into, like, let's take care of the kid mode. Yeah. And uh and then the kids even very sweetly remind them like what what did we forget to do? And they're like, Well, we forgot to say I love you before we went to bed and then they do because it's like, Well, the little girl's gonna sleep with them now. And so uh <laughs> Amelia and the kids are going upstairs, he's following behind, and then all of a sudden it's twenty fifteen and he's Which in the I love this again. I love when we do these little flash sequences because it's once again, is this the memory of an old man trying to remember things from his past? Or are we just cleverly piecing together time because time is all existing in one place and one time and it's all coalescing together? But um 
Mahershala Ali plays an old man really, really well. And yeah. I think that's because the, the fact that he then starts like searching for his family um, and doesn't know where he is. I'd like, I feel this is sad. It's tragically sad. Um, and he does it really well, but he ultimately opens a door and sees what happened later on that night, which is the family in the, in the 90s all on the bed. She's reading, I think it's a jungle book yeah. um, to, to her kids. And they're, they're kind of looking at each other, kind of, I forgive you, I forgive you too. Um, sort of lovingly into each other's eyes. But um, old Mahershala disappears from the door and the door continues to open. Uh, and younger Hayes is looking at it. And then he looks out the window and then we have the kind of post-explosion 1980s um, haze in the hospital. So it's once again, is it this idea that it's once again an idea of these time frames starting to coalesce and come together, overlapping this thing that uh, Amelia said to him a couple of episodes ago and a, a vision about how all these time frames are essentially becoming one. Um we jump back there. So, uh, Dorf is in surgery. Dorf on like, amputees. Yeah, Dorf on, um, uh, uh, what do you call that when you put the under? What's that called? Anesthesia. Yeah, Dorf, Dorf on anesthesia might lose a leg. Yeah. And he's is fucking pissed off because he's been asked for the second time by police officers to walk them through the crime scene and because he's a cop he knows he's going to have to do this at least one more time and he is having fucking none of it yeah he's he is tired he is still fucked up about having to shoot this dude in the head he's that he kind of related to <laughs> yeah killed a, a I bet. Soldier. yeah and uh, his his partner has been shot and might lose his leg, and now there's these people that are like, "Hey, can you do some paperwork for us?" And he's just like, "How about you suck it?" Is probably yeah. what I would suggest. And then Amelia shows up, and she's like, "Hey, are you gonna are you gonna wait here all night?" And uh, he's like, "Yeah, I'm, you know, I won't be here when he wakes up." And she's like, "Look, there's nothing you can do here." You know, like, you're not a doctor. You can't help out. You've done everything that you possibly can, and it has been a day. And uh, then he's, like, he's kind of close to her. They're sitting close to each other. And he says, what are you wearing? And kind of gives her a sniff. Yeah. And she says, well, it's just Irish soap and chalk dust. And he goes, you won't get out of here? And she's like, yeah, I want to get out of here. See, it's interesting. We're totally, we're like, we're reading these scenes slightly differently. Like, because I see this scene as pure manipulation. Oh, she, I... she, she's, she's thinking for the book. Like, see, if you look at the way she plays this, she asks him to describe what happens. He doesn't want to do it. She moves him over, sits him down, asks him what happens. Doesn't want to do it he then makes the play at her to go and have sex. And what does she do right after they have sex? Ask them what happens. Hey, look, call me a pie-eyed optimist. I'm saying that she's doing that because she thinks it's helping him. I don't. I think I, it's for her book. But I think when they when they get to her place and he she's like, hey, what do you want something to eat? I've got some like soda in the fridge or something. And he immediately is just like, mm-hmm. And just starts taking off his clothes. 
And then she sees him disrobing, and then she's like, fucking when in Rome. And she starts to take off her clothes. And I got to tell you, Duncan, I have the same exact reaction. If <laughs> if I see a bunch of people start to disrobe around me, I jump right in. I'm like, if, if it's if that's the kind of party we're having. I'm just I'm just a like a stony cynicist on these things. I I know I've got in my head that she is very much. She even says like after they have sex, she didn't want it put out that early. Um, and he says, you know, I have to do that because of judgment and all the rest. And I think it's no. I think she was holding that over him for the moment she could use it to get more information. Right, out but him. she couldn't because it, she was just like. Look, I'll oh, be yeah. damned. I want to fuck this dude. Yeah, yeah. She, she definitely, she yeah. definitely gave into the moment at that point. But like I'm saying, I, I, I mean, you're reading scenes differently now. I'm of the opinion that she is totally that she showed up at that hospital. Yes, I imagine to concern on one part, but you don't show up and concern and not like the the whole conversation of how he is lasts all of. 10 seconds compared to the next three or four minutes of probing to find out what happened. Um, and she's writing a book, and we know she's writing a book. So, yeah, it's a juicy I, chapter, Bo. makes a juicy chapter. Yeah, I, I still, I like I said, I'm, I'm a moony-eyed optimist, Duncan. Uh, but nonetheless, they, uh, Duncan, they should be fucking. They yeah. should be fucking. Can I just say, Bo, let's take a second here. Uh-huh. We burst onto the world a way of life, a phrase, nay, a new religion. Uh-huh. And then we sat back and we wait we wait to see if it would grow. And I will express my extreme disappointment <laughs> in the internet and our listeners that it took what four fucking days before someone mentioned it in a hashtag and even then the response was lukewarm compared to the Duncan and Bo detective agency and all the other shit that appeared online all I'm going to say is if you're a listener of this show and you think that you should be fucking or they should be fucking then let us know that we should be fucking or you should be fucking or they should be fucking by creating your own memes, your own hashtags, trend that motherfucker. Me and Bo put these things out there and, we, you know, every now and again, we come away with gold like, you should be fucking. And when we do that, you guys need to, you. we can only give it to you. We can give our message unto you, dear listeners. It's up to you to mold it, to make it your own and build your religion around it. That's all I'm saying. Kind of felt a bit lackluster approach from our listeners. I, I don't disagree with you, Duncan, but at the heart of uh, a fuckology <laughs> is the notion that, hey, you maybe you don't have time to make all the memes because you're Cause busy you're fucking. fucking. Yeah, and if you are, you're doing it right. So we'll be able to let anyone off as they were like that. There was no no time to meme. Right. I, I, all the, fucking. the envelope better come to me drenched in cum. <laughs> Where you're just like, look, it was all I could do to get this to the mailbox because of all the fucking that's been going on. This smells like no less than a quartet's juices. Yeah. And, this, this, and here. This, this letter's adhesive was sealed on the vagina lips of my lover. Yes. And her lover. Yes. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, fuckology, when you get right down to it, Duncan, is a distracting religion. But yes. one that we hope to profit on eventually. V- very tiring as well. Yes. But, uh, but it comes with a sandwich at the end. 
to a sandwich and if you're lucky a cuddle are you yeah obviously the cuddle duncan you you take you take the five minutes to recover you wipe off the sweat you get the sex towel you wipe off you know the nooks and crannies to make sure you don't stink throughout the night and uh i'm not a sandwich guy i like a bowl of cereal oh is is my move you know what uh uh, some cocoa pebbles are never a bad way to go oh sugar a little bit yeah sure because you've just right you've just right as we know duncan sperm is mostly sugar so uh (laughs) i enjoy your cocoa pebbles maybe even a cocoa puff duncan i'm not above it i'm I'm not entirely sure that that was factually accurate but it is no it is that's the whole tale that's the motility is that they are powered by sugar essentially um but which is weird because it tastes so salty that's the (laughs) your word for it that's the rub um, do you ever wonder that? Do you ever like? Do you ever think to yourself, "I wonder if I've ever gotten my own cum in my mouth accidental?" Like, oh, I'm, I'm like, how yeah, could you oh, not? It's well, yeah, that's been a headshot or two. Sure, it's it just one of those things that when you stop and think about, it, like, I have tasted my own cum. I didn't realize I did it at the time, but I have. If it's come from you and gone into you, I think that's okay. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a negative in any way. I just think it's an interesting thought experiment, Duncan. <laughs> in the middle of episode five of season three of True Detective. <laughs> sure, in an episode that's already over long. So, and we got another episode to go. Anyway, so uh, she takes them into the bedroom and indeed they do some fucking. Mm. And she shuts the door like, look, this is not for, you know, your eyes. Yes. This is going this to is be not for your eyes, child. <laughs> yeah. Jesus <It's>... wept. <laughs> right. As she pulls him in, like Mahershali just pokes his head out. Jesus wept. <laughs> She's got hooks in here, if you know what I mean. Um so <laughs> it's pretty good. And then all right, so then we jump back to nineteen ninety where Hayes is going through uh, the the files in like the storage room at the the police station, and he goes to the duty officer and he's like, "Hey, where are these fucking fingerprints?" And <laughs> the duty officer is like, "What are you talking about?" He's like, "I put some fingerprints in here that were unrecognized at the time. I put them in there myself, and now they're gone. Give me a list of everybody who's checked this out." And he's like, "I don't have that shit." And uh, Hayes is like, you best go get it then. And <laughs> um, anyway, and the, and the duty cop in this scene is just me. Yeah. It's just like, ugh, I got to do what? And he's like, well, I want to see all the list of everyone who's checked out this stuff. But it's all the way in the basement. <laughs> well, go down and get it. Ugh, fine. Totally my move. And <laughs> so then we show Hayes in his office at like five o'clock and his phone's ringing and he doesn't answer because he's too busy flashing back to 1980 mm-hmm. where we're back at the, the scene of the crime at the water shootout slash explosions. And in a big drum of ashes, they find some clothes yeah, they find what looks like a pink girl's jacket. Yes, and then uh, on in a crawl space that has been exposed by the Claymore, they find a backpack. Yeah, and um, when they bring it out, the guy who finds it, who looks suspiciously, suspiciously like that guy 
whose picture we saw in 2015, the guy that went missing, Bo, uh-huh. um, hands it to his boss and he's like, doesn't this kind of look like that bag of that kid that went missing? And he's like, yeah, maybe, maybe it is. Um, and then we jump back to 1990 and um, he's had an epiphany, right? That he has come across something which he is calling hardcore bullshit. Um, and he storms yeah. at Dorf's office and he's like, can you believe this shit, motherfucker? Slams the file down and he's like that, right, look at this bag. This This bag was found right beside where the bomb went off and there's no markings on it. There's nothing. This is pristine. And how the fuck did it get there? It took them two days to find it. You know, it's right in a crawl space, right beside where the bomb went off. It was visible. It took them two days to find it. These cops running around there. I'm calling bullshit motherfucker on this. And, um, you know, like, <laughs> I love Dorf in this way. He's like, right, I kind of see where you're going. But at the same time, what we're seeing here, someone planted it. He's like, well, yeah, maybe someone planted it to throw us off the scent. You go up there after the fact. You put the stuff in there, you fake the evidence, it looks like the girl's dead. When she's not dead, it looks like he's involved. Pin it on Woodard, the whole thing goes away. Yeah. And yeah. Dorf asks the right question, always like that. And what are we seeing? Someone in the police did it? Are we seeing someone external? Uh, and he's like, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just saying someone did it. Right. And Dorf on politics says, Purple, we can't go to the higher ups with that. I. And and he's like, that's uh, all. The only proof we have is that it's a bad conviction, which is exactly yeah. what they don't want. And we don't have the other side of that equation of he was innocent. Here's who's guilty. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what, even though Dorf doesn't say it out loud, that's kind of the implication is you you have to have something other than we fucked up. We, we there has to be an and there. Yeah, plus and, you you play your card too early, Bo. Those cards go away. Yeah, and he also says like, hey, if you knew. If you knew how to do this right, you wouldn't have been on a desk for ten years. Yeah, and and because the, the Hayes is always itching for a fight, he's like, "Fuck, is that supposed to mean?" And then they that conversation gets interrupted by a phone call because they're getting a notification that a mysterious m- message came in on the hotline yeah. set up for like, "Hey, have you seen this girl?" kind of thing, and then we cut. Duncan, from that to 2015, only this time, it's not with Hayes. Mm-mm. It is Dorf on aging. As Dorf on bull. And it, I sw- swear to God, dude, this is eerie. So he's out feeding his dogs, putting a little Irish in his coffee, which I respect. Yeah, he's, he's on the Creme Royale, which I love. Mm-hmm. And it's about it's about a 60-40 coffee to whiskey. Yeah, and it's nine in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's got a little dog, and he takes him. I of the dog. <laughs> yeah. Just a little nip is all. And then he, he's got this little dog, and he, he takes it to a kennel uh, where there are a bunch of dogs. And he's giving them food and cracking eggs in the food and that kind of thing. And the little dog won't jump in with the other bigger dogs. And he's like, I guess you're a little princess. You come with me then. <laughs> and he, so Dorf takes him inside and instead is giving him some of the eggs that Dorf has made for himself when he was eggs doing Eggs face. Yeah. It, yeah. He's totally just like, I'll tell you what, if you, if you want good lady, 
you show off your cooking skills, then she knows that you you don't need a woman who can cook. And then uh, Jerkface pulls up, mm-hmm. and he sees the car, and he's like, well, this is going to be a, a real to-do. But you know what? <laughs> I'm going to hear him out. And so uh, Hayes and Jerkface are in the car, and Hayes is like, how long has it been since I've seen him? Yeah, and, can't remember their last interaction. Yeah, and and Jerkface is like, I honestly don't know, Pop. And as they're debating whether or not they should do it at all, Dorf on Awesome just rolls onto the porch and is like, hey there, Purple. Hey, you're in the right place. Why don't y'all come on in? And he said, was it he there, Purple? Who's that old man with you? Yeah, it kind of gives him shit. Like, and immediately, Hayes grins. Yeah. And it, and it like it's just like everything's cool. It like we the we got the band back together. Well, he thinks that but what we find out very quickly is maybe things left on sour well not maybe they definitely ended up on sour terms. Right. Well, in Jerkface is kind of given uh him the lowdown about like hey, sometimes he doesn't remember stuff and and he asks, uh, you know, where he is sometimes even. And Dorf is like, does he even remember why I'm mad at him? And he's like, no, he doesn't. And yeah. and Dorf, because he's awesome in this scene, is like, yeah, maybe I forgot to. Yeah, because it will, no, like, um, Jerkface basically says, I, I found in my experience that it doesn't help to push that. Right, like, there's no reason to be mad at him over something that he can't even can't remember. remember. Yeah. yeah. More, it's more hurtful for you than it is to him. And yeah, like, just like yeah, I love I love that. And once again, one of the many reasons this show is set up, Dorf has been the most awesome character of this season. Honestly, the, the more he's in this, the more I kind of think he's the MVP. <laughs> yeah, he, he totally is. And it's not just because we share eerily similar fates, apparently. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, uh, jerk face thankfully leaves. And then we have a, a, a moment where, uh, this is the point where it's just like, shut up, true detective, uh, where, uh, Hayes is like, Hey, where's that, uh, all your medals and stuff. And he's like, oh, yeah, I threw most of that stuff out. And, uh, he's like, what about your wife and kids? Where are pictures of them? He's like, I never had any kids purple. And he's like, what about your wife? I know. I, I know you had a wife. And he's like, never did. And he's like, well, what the fuck? And he's like, he's like, he goes, I remember you. What about that woman? What about that woman? Yeah. And he, he's like, look, if you come around once more than once every 25 years, you, you would have picked up on some of this already. Yeah. But he was, things happen. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, no, that ever worked out. And, um, anyway, so after seeing myself in a mirror, uh, <laughs> Hauntingly, hauntingly, hauntingly be, be presented the, the the ghost of Christmas future. I got you know. I got to be honest. At the end of the day, eh, it's not the worst. You yeah, know. Once again, we're going to jump to a line later on. But I'm like that. That kind of sounds kind of awesome. It, um, there, it, yes, and we will get to it in just a second here. But because <laughs> all right, so we have to do a quick hop back to 1990, where they bring in Scooter McGuilty. Yeah, because. Um, Scooter McShifty. No shit. They bring him in and he's just like, well, what's going on, Dorf? I mean, you know me, I'm just out here staying sober and just being a remorseful dad. 
and kind of becoming a bit Jodie Foster, just like you. <laughs> That's not the worst thing that could happen here. <laughs> Detective House. Oh, <laughs> so uh, Dorf is like, "Hey, we're gonna play a tape for you," and uh, like, like he's fucking David Byrne at the beginning of "Stop Making Sense." You know, mm-hmm. I have something I want to play for you. Uh, <laughs> you may say to yourself, "It's not my beautiful detective." I don't know what that's about. Um, so, uh, <laughs> uh. The the tape though is a, a a young lady on a recording saying essentially Julie Purcell is not her real name. Yeah. And she she's asking what happened to the brother, which is this weird dissociative way to ask about it. it it's interesting how she doesn't use <laughs> personal pronouns. Um also <laughs> She says, what did, what did the man from the video do to him? Yeah, and then she implicates her father by saying, the man on television pretending to be my father, tell yeah. him to leave me alone, and that he's the one who knows what happened to the brother. Yeah. And I think she's talking about the attorney general. <laughs> well, 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 do you? Oh, 100%. That is that is absolutely the common. He is the key to all of this. He is the the hinge, the linchpin upon which all of this turns, because he is involved in every piece of this. Wow! So we'll get to oh, it, but still very nice. But yeah, he, because he's the one that introduces the father. He does, yeah. yeah so, so he's on the video, yeah. So I think she's talking about him, and we'll get more into this in a minute. But he I think is that's spot on. I think that's spot on. Like, but what what I was going to say is that this kind of what happens here plays into Duncan theory from a two episodes ago, last episode, uh, where I gave my breakdown of stuff that I missed. Yeah, um, and what I said was, could it be that the father's house was? Um, Scooter Muck uh, about to go to prison. Um, could it be that his house was so badly vandalized because he went down for the crime? Um, and it looked like it was setting it up this way that potentially, Boran still, uh, potentially she had fingered her father in the crime. Because yes. um, that's certainly how the police interpret it. Certainly how I interpret it as well, actually. Um, although I didn't believe he, because it was too obvious. But I never picked up on the DA, which makes a lot of sense. But if this is the case, we are talking some season one style conspiracy oh, up and a hundred percent. I am missing exactly one piece of my theory, and it's the association between Hoyt and the Attorney General. Once that connection is made, everything money. falls into place. Money, yeah. it's always money. Yeah, it's always money. It's always Somehow, money. Plus, sure. Plus, we see a picture of him in the next episode, and I got an erection when I realized who the actor was. Did you know who it was? <laughs> I didn't. Who is it? Uh, it's Michael Rooker. No shit. All right. Well, of course, it's him then. Anyway, yeah. um, that's crazy. That's crazy. It's like there's a picture of him uh, with the, the, the dude, to the head of security, uh, and I think they're fishing. 
Um, oh right, right, right. And okay. that's 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 one hundred percent Michael Rooker, uh, and the internet has confirmed my theory on that. Okay, so then Duncan, it's time to go back to two thousand fifteen. Yeah, and it's the scene that I've been wanting all along, and <laughs> it is tremendous. I, I, there's something kind of awesome about like I always felt like at the end of season one where we had um, kind of old man Cole and old man Hart, uh, like walking and talking, just all their interactions where they were just doing police work, but as kind of seasoned, hardcore veterans of the game. You know, they've seen everything, they've experienced everything. And now at this point in their life, they're probably at the, physically they're not at their best to be solving any crimes, but mentally they've got enough experience under them that basically they are like walking encyclopedias of how to solve crime. Right. Uh, but also they're a bit long in the tooth. They've, they've suffered through life. They've got experiences, those weather, the conversations and all the rest. And I love that. And I, I always kind of felt like, you know, we, we could have a spin off series as like old man Cole and old man heart solve crimes. I would watch that show in a second, but then it was usurped by the potential of old man Hayes and old man Dorf. Oh, I know. Talking about anything, like like literally talking about anything. I was like, I would watch hours upon hours of the these two guys interacting. It is fuck it, like like right. Oh well, I, all right. So here's how Ali turns a great performance as an old guy. Yes. Dorf turns a fucking incredible performance as an old man. Right, because he's just out loud. He is the character that is out of fucks to give. Yeah, and when because very quickly the position becomes clear, Hayes wants his help in trying to solve this crime that has always haunted him. Mm -hmm. Whereas Dorf, (laughs) his position is, and I love the way he puts it. He was like, "You want to come out here? You want (laughs) to reminisce? You want to drink? You want to listen to a game? I am all for it." He says, you want to kill some time, I have invented ways to kill time. Yeah, yeah, the things people haven't conceived of. Yeah, yeah. I, oh, he's so fucking good. And But he was like, I don't want to dip one single toe into this shit again. <laughs> and and when, when he keeps pushing, he's like, I know you don't remember this, but I am fucking angry at you. And yeah. I would whoop your ass if it wouldn't kill you, which is yeah. another great line. Yeah, and basically, it's like you still, and even after all that, you still haven't said sorry to me, right? And and this is the point where I start rolling tears <laughs> because Hayes is like, I don't remember, I don't remember what I did, but I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm missing whole pieces of my life. I don't remember my wife. I don't. I I have such trouble remembering who I am. Sometimes I'm losing everything, and I just want to do this. Yeah. And then there's another fantastic line where Dorf says, "How does your son not have you locked up?" Yeah. And he and he says, "He don't know how fucked up I am." It's fantastic, and he's yeah. and it like it just wears him down. Where Dorf like they're. Mahersha Ali is crying. Stephen Dorff is crying. I'm crying. Bull Razdol is crying. Yeah. He sits down as well. He sits down and he says, as bad as you think you are, you're worse. 
Yeah. Which I think is a great line as well. It like kind of puts because like how, how bad you think you are, how bad everyone else is telling you roundabout just now, your condition is it's worse. Yeah. Know, I'll tell I'll call a spade a spade here and tell you exactly how bad it is. But I love um, that that's again, that's the thing. And when um when Mahershali is giving him shit about like, so you just stay out here drinking? And he's like, <laughs> Look, I don't have a lady, I don't have friends. I don't go anywhere. And so as far as I'm concerned, how much I drink is nobody's fucking business but mine. I and, said amen at the TV and I was like that hashtag living the dream ball. Uh-huh. L-I-V-I-N living. That's my old school dreams right there. See, when I retire, that's the life I want to live. I got to tell you, man, like, like I said, there is an eerie similarity of like, hey, I'm a single dude. I live alone. I'm kind of out away from from. Uh, the majority of people, you know, uh, like I got neighbors and whatnot, but it's, you know, ain't nobody coming to my place accidentally. Mm-hmm. And it's all right, man. It's all right. It's having those cups of coffee on the deck in the mornings feels pretty good. <laughs> I mean, I don't have the Irish coffees, not <laughs> most mornings, but, uh, but yeah. And, you know, but this ends the way we want it to. Which is, uh, hey, saying, don't you want to see a 70-year-old black man trying to solve a crime? And and Dorf, who at this point is as teary as I am in this scene, uh, is just like, yeah, I guess I could use a laugh. And credits. And we've got the band back together. Yeah, dude, th- that scene is probably 10 minutes long of them just going through this argument and coming to the ultimate place of, Hey, we're going to be working together again. And it's fucking gold. Yeah. And if this, if anyone had any doubt at all ever that Nick Pizzolatto should never have come back to do a true detective season three, because true detective season two didn't live up to your lofty fucking unrealistic expectations. I cite the dialogue from this episode uh, and the dialogue from uh, episode 3.4, specifically the one with the argument between his and his wife where he's like that, because I'm going to cry. Yeah, that is great. As two fucking incredible pieces of not only writing, but pacing. Like, Pistol directs this one. That, to me, is remarkable, because he directs one of the best action scenes we've seen, plus some fucking stellar dialogue. Oh, as yeah. well as right, so this shit. The, the guy is legit great. Let's 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 not like we joke about him. Every scene has to reference time, and everyone has to have a gun, and right. you know, and like, everyone's, everyone's been molested. Yeah, everyone's been molested, and everyone's evil. And if you're a powerful person, you probably did the molesting. It, it, we'll, we'll, but like legit, this is this is as good as it gets, and in, in terms of just this is the scene this show needs. It lands at the exact point we need. And we have, at this stage, three short episodes to get through. And we're going to do it by turning to episode 3.6. Yes. Episode 6. This episode is entitled Hunters in the Dark, Duncan. Uh, It is written, of course, by Nick Pizzolatto. uh, As well as, I'm sorry. uh, Yeah, Nick Pizzolatto and also Graham Gordy is in on this who is uh, a writer who worked on this episode only of true detective this season 
uh, worked on a television show called One Dollar, another called Quarry, another called Rectify. Um, you know, also <laughs> wrote uh, was one of the writers on uh, The Love Guru. Duncan. Oh no! I know he's got a lot to prove. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Duncan. I would say uh, he acquits himself just fine here. Uh, oh, yeah. We we begin, Duncan, in 1980 in a post-fucking scene where it's like, hey, we should have just been fucking, and we were. <laughs> um, and, we and, should be fucking again, but we don't have enough time. Yeah, well, this is the point where uh, she says like the, the bit about, like, oh, you know, I, I normally don't do that right away. And he's like, if you're worried about me judging you, don't. I don't do that. Mm-hmm. And then he, he says the, the thing at the Woodward place is the first time he'd ever fired his weapon on the job. And she says, well, but you know, you fired your weapon at people in the war. I mean, I'm sure you killed people there. And he says, I don't spend time remembering things. And this is, it's a bad irony here. <laughs> well, is it irony or is it just, you know, because this is still this nameless disease that he has. And, I mean, could there be this psychological component of it that, that there are things that he has forgotten because he has just chosen to forget them? Um, but, you know, in a more metaphorical sense, I suppose, it, it does point to the fact that Hayes is a character who lives almost entirely in the present. He is yeah. not necessarily looking looking forward because you know how he feels about speculation after mm-hmm. these episodes uh and arguing where speculation becomes a, a real uh, weapon and mm-hmm. um also that he doesn't believe in remembering the past because it's so painful so the the present is the only thing for him yeah and yeah i think i mean i mean there's like the, this this whole season is very much predicated on the idea of time and memory and you could argue that time is memory yeah, because uh, the way we perceive time or the concepts of time are purely built out of our memories to judge time, <laughs> you know, or the memories that someone writes down to denote history. So, um, yeah, it's like it, 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 he is the consummate in the moment guy. So it would not surprise me if you know what starts off as being a, a lifestyle inevitably inevitably becomes a condition. Um, which just worsens for him over time. Right. Or maybe it's all a big fucking Kaiser Sozi act and right at the very end of I remember everything, yeah. You remember absolutely shake his head a couple of times, twist his leg a different way and then remember everything. Um but yeah, I, like he, he says this, but like what like because we're seeing over the three time frames the fact he would say something like that it's kind of like a ah to the audience and yeah. uh, you know be careful what you wish for in these sort of things because you may end up permanently that way well we go for 10 years duncan to 1990 where we're listening to the mary julie slash julie purcell tape again and our attorney general who's totally fucking guilty immediately mm-hmm. is like well that sounds like an indictment and <laughs> And the evidence doesn't suggest Scooter McInnocent. Did, did, did you hear that voice? Arrest the man in the box. Who said that? <laughs> yeah, I agree with that guy. And um, and uh, Hayes and Dorf are like, look, we're going to go interrogate this dude because Dorf is like, 
we let these people in there. He's going to crack like an egg, y'all. And <laughs> so Dorf is like, once more trying to do the right thing in this situation. And so they go in to interrogate him, and they're coming after him pretty hard. And Hayes starts talking about the hole in the wall, and he's like, you like looking at her through the hole? And Scooter McIndignant is like, hey, man, I'm not like that. And he looks at Dorf and is like, tell him, I'm, that's not how I am. And Dorf is just stone faced. He is just like he's got the best. We see it a couple of times in this episode. The best kind of. I'm going to give you my mean face. Right. It's just the poker face of I'm. I'm giving you nothing. If you're looking for a friend in this room, it ain't here. Because he keeps his on eyes like Roland, Roland, yeah. Roland. Well, yeah, because this Dane. Well, this Dorf helped him get sober and shit. Yeah. Like. This is, for all intents and purposes, this is one of Scooter McSad's only friends. Yep. And at one point, once he realizes, like, oh, I'm kind of fucked here, Scooter McCrazy just starts screaming. Yep. And at that point, Dorf and Hayes are like, let's get the fuck out of here. And uh, and here's another reason that this dude's totally guilty. As soon as that wraps up, the AG, Attorney General, gives them, immediately is like, I'm going to give you a warrant to go through everything that this guy has, go through his place, uh, do whatever you got to do to, you know, like, if if the daughter is for real and she's saying that it's him, then you fucking indict him. Right, but like, here's, here's the thing, here's the thing. Guilty of what? Well, that's the thing. It kind of—I mean, the idea, I guess, is guilty of the son. So that if, hey, if we're going to overturn, not necessarily overturn the Woodard thing, because the idea I think that the AG wants to put forward is that yeah, they were this, working together. Yeah, but this is the thing. What did what, you're saying? The AG did something. What did he do? And that's what I'm—I'm I'm really interested in. This is where, like, when we were talking. I don't know if we were talking on here about this because it feels like we started this years ago. Um, but like I have, a, like I have a distinct idea of how I know the eighties crime thing finishes. And you said that you are like kind of the opposite. You're like I definitively know how the twenty fifteen part of this story is going to end up. And we're both saying the same thing that we're kind of unsure how the nineties part of this story yeah. is going to finish up so we're both at like other positions to me i don't know like if the the da is involved with it right is he still going to be around yeah because he he'll i don't know in if he's going to be around in 2015 but somebody get, on the hoyt side of things is going to be yeah, and I, yeah, I don't know if you get closure that maybe but, well let's let's be honest true detective has never been a tv show to give you everything right. wrapped up in a nice neat bundle it's more just uh we, we've got someone and we understand that everyone in power is a bad man but well, so what are we saying well what what are you saying that the eg did then the he AG, killed the boy no 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 the, i i think what happened is the i i think the kids were killed by a go-between Right, you know, or the the boy was the girl was then taken to the Hoyt estate. Yes, and which we're going to get to, which we'll get to that stuff. So the Hoyt family is is 
I'll tell you what. Before we get into this stuff, let's get through this episode because so much of it of my theory is connecting yeah. these dots. Yeah, so, like at the moment, there's I can, I can kind of see some stuff, but I'm I'm still right. maybe just a little bit abstract from all. So so the AG is at at this point, all we know for sure is the AG is saying, mm-hmm. "I'm going to give you carte blanche to look into Scooter McScreamy's life," mm-hmm. and Hayes is like. Look, normally I can tell. I can't say for sure he's innocent, but I also don't know. Yeah. And and my note here, by the way, is it's totally the AG. Um, <laughs> so then we go forward to 2015, where, we're, where it's Hayes talking to the director. And he says, well, that phone call came from a truck stop outside Russellville. And we got prints from Julie off of that phone. Mm-hmm. So we knew it was her. And then yes. we flash back to 1990 and it's Dorf and Hayes at the truck stop. And, um, the, and we're still talking about the fact that like Dorf on compliments is saying, Hey, it was good that you kind of sat on that backpack thing for now. Yeah. And then the Hayes has to run home to change. And Amelia starts tying his tie, and there's a hint of a fight starting. Yep, just a little bit. Just a little whiff of like, oh, there could be a little bit of a fight coming. Where <laughs> it's it's her talking about like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm starting to work on this new book, and you wanted me to, you know, did you think I was just going to sit around and not do anything after the book was done? And he's just like, yeah, all right, fine, fine. We'll talk about this later. Yeah. <laughs> and um, then we go to Hazendorf, who are questioning uh scooters old pals and are his old associates and whatnot and his old boss is like you know he was always kind of antisocial uh just didn't get along real well with people there was he, he seemed to be drinking a little bit like he was on his way out the door before he ever quit mm-hmm. and also there was a rumor that some guy saw him going into a gay club and and the guys here were giving him a lot of shit about that too and when they go to his place now, which is like the trailer he lives in or whatever, uh, Hayes finds a bunch of pictures in his desk uh, that are his daughter. Yeah. You yeah. Know, which is, uh, you could argue, is potentially incriminating, but it's also like, well, this is his missing little girl. And mm-hmm. it like that's the thing with all the scooter evidence is it could either be it could either indict him or it could exonerate him depending on your perspective. Yeah. And also there's, I mean, they, they hint upon this in the interrogation room, but uh, you know, we're saying his daughter, there's, you know, heavy speculation and rumor. This is not his daughter. Yes. And that, by blood. Right. And that's going to come up here shortly. Yeah. And they, so, you know, there's some old bills in there and shit like that. The, the big, not piece of evidence. It's just like, Hey, this is a a thing is they find a brochure in like his nightstand or something that is for like a gay therapy through a church yeah, of gay, like gay conversion right, church pray your gay I, away kind of shit. Yeah. And, right beside a drawer full of condoms. <laughs> right. And you know, that'll stop me. But do you think Roland already knew? Um, potentially. And I and I've always like even when we talked about back on episode like two or three, there were just some looks that they had where I was like, I wonder if Roland is, you know, closeted potentially. 
I kind of thought that as well. I think I, in my head, I was thinking maybe that's why I never settled down with a woman. Eh, maybe. Um, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe he's just committed bachelor, Duncan. You never know. Uh, <laughs> or just <laughs> incapable of a you know reasonable relationship. Anything Loves could be the most more than humans. That's also poten- uh, a potential. Um, mm. Everybody's fucking something, as as. <laughs> Roland West himself said. Hashtag you should be fucking. Hashtag you should be fucking. And be but fucking. once we're in the car though, Dorf is just like Hayes is is like, well, he definitely had his secrets. And Dorf is just like, well, I don't know that this makes him a killer. Like he could have been he could he could have been closeted gay, but that doesn't necessarily make him a murderer. Mm-hmm. And but Hayes is like, no matter what, no fooling, no backsies. This time we go all the way. And, and, you know, of course, Wes is like, I, I guess you're being weirdly intense about this. <laughs> <laughs> and then we go back to 1980 where Hayes is going over the case file and the brass comes in, uh, including the, these would be AG, the guy yeah. that will eventually be the attorney general comes in to tell him like, you know what? You are completely exonerated. The shooting of Woodward was, was good. You are clear. We also found enough evidence to to convince us he's the criminal. We uh, are going to uh, try him in absentia, and because the town needs to heal, Bo, the town needs to heal. Right, and and this is like our... kill ten people at his his residence. So, all right. So here is the the beginnings of my I guess Hoyt AG theory is if we can find. A situation where Hoyt was supporting this guy who would become attorney general, like his run for that. In exchange. We probably will. (laughs) Right. In exchange for this kind of public mess showing up and the AG working to help clear, clear this mess up. Up to and including, like, hey, we've got this dead boy on our hands. We'd really like this problem to go away. If, If the AG uses Harris James who is a cop on the beat and who also wor- worked at Hoyt as well like we get him to plant the evidence right so you don't think the AG killed the boy then no I don't think I I think that the boy got killed by I I think we'll get to it but I think the dude with one eye is who killed the boy because I think there was something uh, like I do think there was some affection in that because that's something that Amelia brings up uh, is that it, there almost seems to, or the director maybe that there almost seems to be uh, a sort of a sensitivity in the way that the boy is posed and all that stuff. Um, yeah. So it, at any rate, we'll, we'll start pulling all these strings together, but, but the AG is com- totally selling Woodward as, as, the dude in this scenario Hayes is like that's fucked up I don't buy that Mm -hmm. and one of the the other thing is that the AG is like oh the girl is dead too you don't have to worry about her we found her clothes she is she's completely dead and Hayes is like well there's no evidence that and he's like "Eh, you know we'll find it eventually I'm sure but also we found her clothes in this incinerator and like a makeshift incinerator in the back of Woodward's house. So again, the AG is front and center trying to cover this all up. Mm. So anyway, 
Hayes is like, fuck you, that's not right, and takes off. And then we cut back to 2015 where he's being interviewed, and she brings up the remains of Uncle Dan again, yeah. and potentially being related to, you know, Scooter McGuilty. Yeah. And, you know, and this is all another line I like from this episode, where Hayes says, no, we thought about all that, we thought about maybe they were working together, maybe it was a part, maybe the uncle was having sex with the little girl. Maybe they were both doing it. And he says, it's terrible what this world makes you ponder. Mm. And like, like because there is infinite darkness, there is infinite possibility for dark behavior. On Cause this, this show. is written by Nick Pesolano. Right. <laughs> right. That everything is shit. And the more you dig at it, the more shitty it is. And so then we cut from that back to 1990 where they're going to find Harris James, who is the dude who identified the backpack back in 1980. Mm-hmm. And he left the force shortly after that. And as we know, in 2015 is now missing shortly yeah. after these events. And he shows up, uh, or, or Dorfin and Hayes show up, and he is the head of security for Hoyt Foods. Because that was his reward for doing the backpack thing. Of course. And he's pulling down a lot of money and they're like, you know how much I make? And they're both like, fuck yeah, we do. What is it exactly you do? And he's like, well, you know, I protect the company assets and, and things like that. And he's real confident. He's When they ask him about like, hey, did you ever see uh, Tommy Purcell anywhere near uh, the crime scene? And he's like, oh, yeah, all the time. He would just stand there creepily in a field and stare at us like he was planning on planting stuff. I'm not saying evidence, but he looked like he <laughs> wanted to plant something. And the, the, the key thing you take away from this conversation is the word plant and the word evidence. Um, meanwhile, camera pans over, camera pans over, picture on the wall of this dude with Michael Rooker. Okay, see, I didn't. I saw the picture. I didn't realize that was Michael Rooker. Oh, it's so Michael Rooker. All so right, Michael Rooker. Excellent. So, uh, all right. Then the last kind of note of this scene is um, they're kind of giving James a little bit of shit about having left the fours, and mm-hmm. they're like, "Don't you ever regret it?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, I mean." Uh, pulling down fifteen thousand a year and sitting around and getting hemorrhoids in a patrol car all day. Yeah, I yeah, regret eating, it all the time. Yeah, eating donuts. And, right. Um, <laughs> it, well, it, yeah, he kind of jokingly says, "Yeah, there are some days I miss just driving around eating donuts." And he's like, "I don't. Eat, I, I look like I eat donuts, motherfucker." Yeah, and this is where Harris James says very. <laughs> very creepily is the word yeah creepily uh, no, I cre- it's the way like he's the yeah. Yeah. he's like it's I can the- tell you've got a good body detective and like Hayes is just like the fuck you say to me yeah. and then we jump forward again to 2015 and the, it's uh, the director pressing uh, Hayes on the murders around the case again yeah. pressing hard this time yeah and she says you know it wouldn't surprise me if Harris James was found dead in some quarry when they drained it or something. And he's just like, I wouldn't know nothing about yeah. that. And it's like, <laughs> oh, you guys totally killed Harris James. Yeah. Or, or yeah. 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 Or, or 
as soon as as soon as he said he was missing, I was like that. They've killed him. I think everyone that's missing or found dead, minus the the mother <laughs> who was staged in a hotel room, have all died at the hands of Hayes. I think. <laughs> well, or or. Oh, they covered it up. Yes, or he was killed by like Tommy or even Dan. Yeah, and then and that was covered up. They, they, yeah, they've, they've covered that up. Right, kind of feeling like there's no reason for this dude to suffer for what we think was a, a justified killing. Kind of, yeah. Thing. Um, because Harris James just oozes, I'm guilty of something. And Interesting. interestingly enough, though, if they did that, right. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is why I think this show's fucking brilliant. This is why when we were having the conversation off here at the beginning, you were like that. Yeah, yeah. Is it is it season one? Is it material wise and all the rest? Like even if we get all that wrap up right in the nineties, which I think we are, how that impacts the twenty fifteen story is infinitely fascinating for me. I think that's what gives this season the edge over all of them. Is that you know, and the other ones, it's always been in the modern time. We'll fix that thing that we didn't fix but I think on some level they cover up the thing in the 90s which means what are they going to do? Are they going to blow the case wide open? I, I don't know. I just think that's the, that to me is the the dark horse of overall all this story is what's going to happen in the here and now. Right. I mean there is a world in which they both end up either dead or in prison but have solved yeah. the crime. Yes. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it, interesting. Mm. So after, uh, we, we have the conversation about Harris James being found potentially in a quarry. He's like, I'm done for today. And, uh, he sees a picture of Amelia on the shelf. And then he flashes back to 1990 where, uh, it's Amelia working on her book. And she goes to like this nun run, Nuns on the run, girls home <laughs> with Eric Idle and Robbie Coltrane. Yes, brilliantly played by Robbie Coltrane. Um, National treasure, Robbie Coltrane. <laughs> you so <son> bitch. <laughs> so, uh, she finds this girl that knew uh, Julie Purcell or Mary July, and it was basically in a group of kids that all fell in together that eventually parted ways because one of uh, apparently it was kind of spinning out of control where everybody was doing a lot of drugs. One of the dudes was trying to pimp the girls out. Uh, and some of that happened apparently. And, um, the, the thing is she ca- kept calling herself by different names, like Mary July, Mary Julie. And the girl says, I, I don't think she knew what her name was really. Hmm. And, uh, the only thing she knew for sure was that she said she grew up in the pink rooms and that she was a queen in a pink castle. And, and so I said, like, oh, dear God. Oh, true detective. You were true detective and in this shit out of this. And then there's a moment where uh, that I liked where the girl says, you know, you should write a book about what happens out here. What happens to the girls out here? And it's just like, oh, God. I mean... Again, we just live in a world of misery and human shit. Yeah, yeah uh, like you should write about what happens to the girls out here, and then we cut to an alternative dimension where Nick Pistolato hasn't written what happened to the girls, and it turns out they have afternoon tea and bake cakes together. Yeah, right. It's just, you, you know what? We can never find enough powdered sugar to make all our <laughs> delicious confections. 
that is the thing that we keep running into. It's a problem here in Sugar Plum Kingdom. Yeah, it's it's our it's our it's our deepest darkest fear is the day that the candy sugar runs out. <laughs> the day the flower sifter dies. <laughs> Yeah, but we don't live in that world, Bo. We no. live in the world of Nick Pissler. So when someone drifts off in the middle of describing something and looks away with a cold hundred yard stare that denotes extreme trauma and a world we don't want to see, um, you know, Nick Pissler wrote that scene. <laughs> right. Yeah, and underneath it all, a little rape. There yeah, was some rape yeah, in just, there. Yeah, just a just a just a tad. Yeah. You don't have to say it. It's implied. Like Nick Pizzolatto might as well. Like every story should just. It, it, it's assumed that somebody's going to get raped, mm-hmm. um, which is probably not great at the end of the day. But anyway, so Hazendorf are uh, driving around uh, when a call comes in, and this is 1990ish, and uh, it, it's a, a number that they're supposed to call, and someone who says that he knows. Uh, lieutenant west no so they go meet this dude at a diner and it's uh lieutenant dan from the funeral (laughs) earlier and the bones like we know he's gonna die because he is bones shortly after this yeah he's yeah he will he will be bones yes um so um and all duncan we will be. We return back to the earth in which birth is well. Um but yeah, he's a uh, he's looking shifty, he's in the restaurant. We haven't seen him in a little while. Um I love this, like Dorf sits opposite him, he sits right beside him. Uh-huh. When I say right beside him, right fucking beside him. Like and um I, we get this what can only be described as Alex Jones esque conspiracy of you don't know, you don't know anything, I know everything. And you do, look how far we've got. You're ten years into this and you still don't know. And now finally she's resurfaced, so maybe I can give you the information that I've been holding on to, but I'm not gonna tell you without seven thousand dollars. And they're like, mm, no, that's not gonna happen. Give us the information. She's like, listen, maybe I just say like, you know, oh, I'm this junkie who's strung out and drugs and all the rest maybe i was just talking crazy and maybe you do lock me up and maybe you do rough me up but maybe you know i forget things and maybe i'm just so high that i can't remember and they're like right 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 uh and dorf kind of starts to do operation stall so like, yeah it's gonna take us a couple of days to get the seven grand and he's like right cool well, i'm gonna go and you can get in touch with me and that's when <laughs> he's just like mm, no nah, you're not going anywhere sit back down and then he's goes to work on them both yeah yeah, I mean, he's he's like, how about we just take you outside and beat the shit out of you until you tell us what we want to know? How's how that sound? Go, how about you go to prison and are raped by big black dongs? <laughs> right. How do you feel about black penises? Um, and, and to his credit, Lieutenant Dan is like, hey, man, I've been beaten by the best. You want to take a couple of rounds? Go after it, brother. And uh, finally, they're like, look, we're, I hate this, but we're probably going to end up paying you. Yeah. And they're like, look, can you tell us if Tom has anything to do with this? And he's like, Tom, you think I'm scared of coming out of hiding for that cocksucker? No. Yeah. He's like, you guys are way off. Yeah. He says cocksucker and we're like that. So he knows. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And... They they try to muscle him a little bit, and he's like, "Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna clam up if you keep pushing me." And they finally let him go. And when they do, there is this moment where Mahershala Ali has his hand on the back 
of his neck, like right before they let him up, where he just claps it there and gives him a little shake, like, I want to hit you so bad. <laughs> and I want you to know how bad I want to hit you. And the grip I've got on you tells you that that punch is going to hurt. Mm-hmm. And then he gets up and lets him out, but he gets his license number. And uh, Dorf on investigating says that they ought to check the phone records for Julie the night she died because the implication was that here's a real gross thing that Lieutenant Dan says. He was like, first of all, that was a murder. They were shutting yeah. Lucy up. Have you ever asked yourself? I will get to this. But um, <laughs> uh, the other thing is uh, the night um, they want to check those phone records. And they also want to check with Tom to see where he was the night of her death. And Mahershala Ali says, also, I want to keep an eye on this trash. <laughs> and, oh, man, I love it. I, one of my favorite things in this show is when uh, Hayes gets pissed off at white people yeah. uh, for being sh- just the worst. And anyway, <laughs> we go back to the the local jail where Tom is being let out. And Scooter McSneaky is going to go up to you know, Dorf's office and give him a piece of his mind or something. But instead he overhears some detectives talking about the fact that they, you know, they had this conversation with Lieutenant Dan and he wants $7,000 and says he has information that is time sensitive and critical to finding Julie. So then before we get to the good stuff, we got to go to 2015 where jerk face is inside arguing with the director while Hayes is outside smoking and jerk face eventually comes outside and is like, pop, what are you doing smoking? And he's like, well, I figure I finally indulged myself. And then, so he and his kid have a smoke and over the course of this conversation that they have here, Hayes ends up apologizing for making him kind of a, a withdrawn person and, uh, you know, a tight lipped kind of man. And basically, yeah. the the whole speech is, you should not be a dick. And <laughs> it, he's like, you know, I understand you're having this affair. It it sounds like it's over. Is it really over? And Jerkface is like, yeah, it's really over. But she was exciting, you know. He's like, yeah, yeah, I get it. But is it really over? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, you think I, I should tell my wife? He's like, fuck no, you shouldn't tell your wife. <laughs> yeah, he's like, no, no point in upsetting her to meet your conscience. Feel better. Right, yeah. He's like, are you going to leave her? No. Is this over? Yes. Then there's no reason to tell her just to make you feel slightly better about the fact that you, you know, nearly fucked up your marriage mm. and did this terrible thing to someone you care about. Uh, and uh, then he says, you know, uh, Jerkface has the addresses that Hayes asked for, and he's like, well, what are you going to do? And Hayes says, you know, I used to be brave. I used to do things that people call brave. Yeah, and, I love this. I love this scene, by the way. And he says, and you you kids, you made me a coward. And he's like, do you understand that? And then this is a point where I was like, is because Jerkface immediately is like, I got to go make a phone call. It's like, is he calling his kids? Who the fuck is he calling at the his end kids. of this scene? I think he's kids and his wife. Ugh, I don't like that. It's like, just let the scene happen and let's end with 
the look on jerk face's face i don't need the i need to call my kid's dad i that was a, a thing that happened that was like eh, oh, i don't, I don't like that fucking, what but you don't hear him speak to his kids and he doesn't say he's doing it we're guessing he's doing that for all you know he could be phoning the director and saying by the way it's over or phoning the director and saying i've changed my mind let's fuck you don't know you i don't get you're to right. see it i don't the know scene but... finishes this scene finishes with him going away to use the phone i think the, I think it's a great bit of fucking dialogue because that's literally what being a parent's like. There's I, no truer word spoken. Like, like before you have a kid, you think of nothing but yourself, and as soon as you have a kid, you no longer think about yourself. Everything is through the prism of having a kid. Yeah, that so part I like. I just don't like the. I need to call my kids, Dad. You're it right. I don't quite say it like that. I I you know, know, but that's you the, don't like this character. This character to you is the fucking not Channing Tatum we like. I understand that, <laughs> right? But he's he's such a slight character, and if the scene finishes with wanting for his kids, what's wrong with that? Nah, he's been schooled by his dad. His dad basically says, "There's a great line before which he said, did I teach you what was it? Did I teach you how to withdraw, or did I teach you to withdraw?'" Or is it hold or something? Withhold. It's withhold. Withhold. Um, Like that, understanding that the way he brought up his kids with kind of withholding the affection that he should have done um, gets passed down. So the sins of the father get passed down to the kids. Right. I love that. He was trying to teach him something else, but but by example taught him the wrong lesson. Yeah, and as a result of that, his kid realizes that maybe he could have been a better person. The first step in that journey is picking up a phone and phoning his family, Bo. Anyway, back in 1980, (laughs) where things aren't so saccharine, Uh, Amelia, like... That one, one one small scene, one <laughs> glimmer, one slither of hope that maybe this family can survive this fucking horrible tragedy of a father who's forgotten the fucking multiple murders he's committed and the bodies he's buried and his son's fucking horrendous fucking ex- extramarital affair. God forbid, Nick Pisolato remotely gives us the slightest slither of sunlight, which might be him going back to his family. God forbid this show does this more. It's God not forbid. What, not what I'm here for, Duncan. It, like, I want to see an arrow go through his skull as he's walking to make that phone <laughs> Might call. Might still happen. Might still happen. Fair enough, you're right. If it's just like, Son might die before the end of this episode, uh, before the end of the season, saving his dad for all you know. Ah, Lord. What if his dad shoots him for getting who he is? Lord, that'd be nice. <laughs> um, in 1980... Amelia is in the audience while the would-be AG is giving a statement, basically saying, you know, this guy Woodward is the guy. And as he's given this statement, first uh, Lucy Purcell leaves. No, Tom Purcell leaves. Then Lucy Purcell leaves. Then a reporter goes after Lucy. And then Amelia, who has been watching all of this transpire, goes out uh, after the reporter, potentially to kind of stave the reporter off and and try to apologize to Lucy because their last mm. conversation ended she, in Lucy getting kicked the fuck out of her house. Or is she going out there to get rid of that reporter to be seen as doing that so she can get more information? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree that there is that ulterior motive there. I, I think that there is a, a piece of Amelia that is, uh, is playing... Um, Lucy, I think that's less true of of Hayes, but eh, I think it's totally true of Hayes. But I think it's totally true. But at the end of this, Lucy is just like, "Hey, you, the reporter, go fuck yourself." And you, lady who came into my house, 
yeah. and, and now is trying to defend me. How about you take care of your own business, bitch? And because yeah. she does call her a bitch, I'm not just being mean, yeah. bitch. Yeah. And Lucy just is like, you can both go fuck yourselves and jumps in her car and takes off. And who's in the background? Who was in the background? I didn't even see. Her rotund friend who all of a sudden made another appearance. Oh, right, right. Yeah, her fat buddy, sure enough. Why and is she in this scene? She's involved, Bo. Right. She's she's probably the one. And we'll get to it here in just a second. Yeah. Um, so, Dorf. <laughs> I, think she, I think she kills the son. Or she poses. I think she poses the dead son. You think the, she's the woman with the, the, the uh, black gentleman with the dead eye? Yeah, that's okay. All right, I'm with you. No, that all makes sense to me. Yeah, uh, I think she's. I think the black gentleman may kill the boy, but I think she poses him because she would know what that picture looked like being a friend of the family. Right, and he put. The, I wonder if he put the dolls there so somebody would find him. Yep. So that so that he wasn't left for too long because they liked mm-hmm. the kid. Yeah. Okay, I'm with you. So, um, in 1980, uh, oh no, we just did that scene in 1990. Uh, Dorf on driving is taking Hayes home. Uh, <laughs> yeah. like, cause Hayes is just like, Hey, we're, we're hot on the trail. We need to burn the midnight oil. I'm thinking of talking to Vice about some gay clubs. And he's like, Hey, where are you taking me? It's a real Looney Tunes <laughs> kind of thing. And, uh, Dorf is like, Hey, I'm taking you home. And, uh, Hayes is like, I ain't done working yet. And he's like, yeah, you are. Or I'm done working with you today. And, uh, anyway, they start arguing about this about like Hayes being this, you know, high minded, self-righteous prick essentially. And then he Mm -hmm. needs, he's basically like, Hey, you don't want to go home. That's fine. But you need to take a break from work. And, uh, he demands that Dorf pull the car over and, Dorf doesn't want to. He's like, I'm not going to do that kindergarten bullshit. And then <laughs> Hayes. He says, he was, there's not even kindergarten. He says, he's like, oh, did I upset your feelings like a prom date? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And Hayes at that point, like, jerks the wheel off to the shoulder of the road and Dorf slams on the brakes. And Hayes just gets out. And Dorf is like, fine, fuck you, man. And drives off. Because Dorf. Yeah, it tells him though that you know a black man walking in this part of the the town could very well end up shot and dead. Yeah, right. It's like, hey man, get back in the car. It makes an effort at least. And then when uh, when Hayes just keeps walking and gives him the silent treatment, he's like, "All right, man, I did I did my best, but I'm kind of pissed at you right now. I did I tried to do the right thing because that's what dwarf do in this show. And you you told me to go fuck myself, so." you're walking. And so he takes off. And then we go to Tommy, AKA Scooter McSneaky, who has found uh, uh, Lieutenant Dan, um, because it's the motel that Lieutenant Dan would go do meth in. He's like, mm-hmm. you just ain't learned too much. Have you? And his meth tell his meth tell yep. the no tell meth tell. Um, <laughs> And immediately Lieutenant Dan's like, have you been drinking? I thought you stopped that. And Tom's like, you shut up. I'll drink whenever I want. And then 
he ends up beating the shit out of Dan. Hi, because he he says a, he says something on the lines of "There's a toilet, a rest stop somewhere back up there." And I'm fairly sure I saw a glory hole, and that was the kickoff for you're going to get pistol whipped, right? And so uh, Tommy ends up beating the the shit out of Dan pretty solidly, mm-hmm. and. Dan finally admits, like, hey, I don't know anything about this people. That's the first thing Tommy accuses him of. of you looking at my little girl? He's like, the fuck you talking about? Of course I didn't do that. And um, he just knew that Lucy had been living real well after the kids went missing. Yep. And she's like, you ever ask yourself how she lived so well for 10 years almost before being found OD'd? Mm-hmm. And he's like, look, I know who was paying her. That's all I was. That's the name I was going to give the cops, which I'm almost positive is the name Hoyt. As yeah. And so Hayes. Well, we know that by the end of this episode, it definitely is. Sure. So Hayes then goes back to the Purcell house. Yeah. So he walks back uh, and I seen eerily reminiscent of the end of episode one as an old man forgetting his memory standing outside of this property. Right. And this is where we prove the theory about like the little slips of paper were being pushed back and forth between the boy and the girl. So basically I sent Bo a message on Friday saying like, I like I've I've become obsessed with this show. Um, And what happens if these pieces of paper, I originally thought it was the uncle. I was passing it through. I was like, what happens if the uncle's passing these bits of paper through the people? And you came back to me and said, that sounds like a great idea, but would it be the uncle or would it be the, the brother? And I was like, that. I just can't remember what the bits of paper said. So if there were more sophisticated phrases in there, then it's likely to be the uncle. If it was more kind of childlike, it's likely to be the son. It certainly looks like it was the the boy yes. passing it through when, so, you, when you see them. Uh, so you you posed the theory and I just got it right. Um, so yeah, so we have been preconditioned as um, fans of True Detective to instantly think smut hole, uh, when actually what it was was an innocent hole to pass reassuring messages between siblings in a house which was, you know, built on like a, a broken family where they can hear their parents arguing all the time. The smut hole was a sweet <laughs> hole. Hashtag you should be fucking. Um, the smut hole is the name of my new patisserie and donut shop. Um, oh, oh, that sounds delicious. Yeah. I'd like to get my mouth on that smut hole. <laughs> Hashtag you should be fucking. Oh, oh, can we just someone someone take that that clip and both saying, "Oh, I can't wait to get my mouth in that smut hole and just do something well on the internet, please." <laughs> just make it everything. Should be the theme. It should be everyone's ringtone. Uh, so, meanwhile, in 2015, Duncan mm-hmm. Hayes and Dorf are drinking and talking because this is all I want from this show. Yeah, from now on, this is 2015. Right? Yeah, I want every show, every episode of True Detective, even in scenes moving forward, that the last 15 minutes of the show is just Hazendorf just chit-chatting. 
Mm-hmm. Um, even when they're no longer characters on the main story. Uh, yeah. Like, just cut back to them and it's like, well, that was one episode, huh? What you think <laughs> about that purple? Yeah, so, that was something, all right. So the scene, the scene trips back to them basically discussing the case, and the first thing they're discussing is how the slips of paper were passed back and forth through the people, and he's just saying this as if he not he's not sure whether or not Dorf remembers that, and Dorf's like, "That's right." So mm-hmm. we at least know that because up until what what was evident to me after watching like I say, back through episodes three and four was, it was not necessarily clear that um, he had actually bought Dorf in on that. Every time he looked at them, in fact, he pocketed them and never mentioned them. And then when he was looking at them later on, he still never mentioned them to Dorf. So it was like one of these things of, did he even know these existed? But it turns out he did. Uh, and that's been wrapped up. So they start like having this conversation. Um, uh, Hayes needs to go to drain the lizard well but before we get to that he he says uh you know that the next place to start is the addresses that Jerkface gave him Mm -hmm. are the addresses of a domestic who worked in the hoyt house and also the widow of harris james yeah and then that's the point where he's like well i guess i gotta go drain the lizard yeah so he gets up (laughs) tap the main vein all right. So I gotta go one. shake the dew off the lilies. <laughs> That's the worst one. <laughs> he goes away. He goes away, and um, he's like a bad man. And he <laughs> Dorf picks up his wife's book, um, starts reading through it. It's uh, flipping through. Eventually, gets to a bit with a cutout of uh, the girl missing, but still as a girl. And at the, that point, he comes back in the room. And has completely forgotten what what happened uh, pre leak. Yeah, um, yeah he, I mean, he's immediately like, "Hey, man, what you doing here?" And yeah. and Dwarf, to his credit, is just like, "Hey, it's good to see you too, Purple." Yeah, just he rolls with the conversation, um, and this kind of builds up. So he basically says, "You know." Reading your wife's, it looks like you've been spending a lot of time here reading your wife's book, and he's like, "Yeah, I never really got that." far in before but you know i'm working my way through it um and then he asks um dorf if he can check out the window to see if there's a car out there um to which he does tells him there isn't and then he asks he's has he been seeing cars out there kind of putting it back on him as you know yeah. do we think these cars are real or are they in his head is it paranoid etc etc um and then we flip. Yep. Back, I don't think there's anything else in this. No, no, no. Yeah. Then back to 1990, where Amelia is reading from her book, mm-hmm. and it, which ends with it's a, a wrap up of saying like this is the effect that, um, and I think this is the show's attempt to say like her approach to the material, while maybe, maybe being insistent and a little obsessive, that she is approaching this from not the detective angle, but the emotional angle, because she's talking about the emotional cost of this. And, and it ends with her saying a lost child is a story that is never allowed to end. Mm -hmm. And then Duncan, a black man with a dead eye. is not whitey. That was so early on. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't whitehead that, uh, that, that we saw in 1980 originally, Mm -hmm. uh, just comes out of the audience is like, 
you know, like demanding to know, like you got any evidence? You 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 say that she's alive. You see her. You know how to get hold of her. And uh, and she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And and this is where he's like, shame on you for exploiting this, for exploiting these kids. Mm-hmm. And it, because they care about the kids, Duncan, just like the people that pose the body. And oh, yeah. and then he storms out, all angry, like. And then Amelia, just to remind the audience, uh, like not to be <laughs> stupid, she goes dolls yep and it's like yeah he's the dude who bought the dolls i get it um come on true detective give me look i'm a weirdo about this show give me a little credit yeah (laughs) uh so well if you thought that was on the nose (laughs) oh man so here's the point where it's like yep we're about to wrap up because something cool is happening so tommy uh goes to the hoyt house the hoyt estate and he's drunk with a gun, so you know fun's coming. And mm. <laughs> that's it, it, that's what the new American flag should be. It's just a tall boy, boy of cores and a gun. Um, so anyway, Hoyt, uh, I'm sorry, not Hoyt, Scooter and Mick breaking and entering, bus in, and uh, somebody is watching from security cameras, right? Like he's being allowed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I got a question, Duncan, he seems to find this pretty quick. Has he been here before? Does he know his way is around? I got uh, questions about that. And, but yeah. he finds pretty quickly a basement where there's a giant safe door. D- does, he find open. It, does he find it really quickly or have all the doors been set up there to guide him? Them? Yeah. And if, if that is the case, did, did the cousin send them there intentionally? Or did he give the people in that house a heads up? Oh, no, I I think, uh, no, I don't think so. I, I don't think actually either is the case. I think this mm. is genuinely a case of, uh, I don't, well, did he give him a heads up? Maybe so, because Lieutenant Dan is opportunistic enough to be like, hey, I've got information, you, you ought to give me some money. And maybe that's how he ends up bones, is that he tries to double cross Tommy and in in saying like, hey, I was about to give up information, but instead I gave information to you. They killed mm-hmm. him for that. Anyway, I, I we'll see that we'll find that out pretty quickly. Something happened to Dan as a result of him knowing what he knows for sure. Um, so Tommy um finds his way down to this giant safe. He goes in. It's a like this brick passage. And at the end of it is a door. He opens a door, and sure enough, it's this pink room. And mm. the way that the camera is positioned is we see him enter the room kind of head on. And so he's sort of looking at us, the audience. And what he sees is clearly surprising because he's like, the fuck? And then he says, Julie? And then we see Harris James creeping up from behind. He's out of focus, but it's totally Harris James. Oh, it's, it's 100% Harris James. So he comes up. So, boom. Right. Let's, let's, right. That's the end of the episode, right? Yes. Credits. So let's, let's take a little second back here and let's parse out some stuff. So we know we're confident, unless the last two episodes, Pulls uh <laughs> pulls a fast one. We know that the Hoyt family mm-hmm. kidnapped Julie Purcell, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then imprisoned her 
Yeah, I think this is a real sex situation. Do you? I because remember they lost a grandkid. Uh, maybe sounds like maybe like replace her with the grandkid. Yeah, but why um, did they lose a grandkid? Was she all used up? You know what I'm saying? Possibly, possibly. But so I think right. So what they said was what we know about this Hoyt guy. Right, is that a couple of things we can like work out pretty quick if we're going for bigger conspiracy, and then we'll bring it back into the individual players. Right. So if we're if we're spanning this out. What we know is from that dude that was in the, what was it, Ozark Kids Foundation or whatever, right, Mm -hmm. was that the Hoyt family, very rich, very affluent family, owned this chicken plant, right? Okay. Um, They employed the the mother there. So you've got to get this feeling that maybe they knew that she had two kids or maybe they even knew that she was on a rocky relationship. The Mr. Hoyt guy lost his granddaughter, has put up money uh, for this foundation thing, which I'm assuming is the money that's been paying off the mother until she died of the OD. I think mm. that's where she was getting her money from. Okay, paid foundation. out the foundation. Okay, I'm yep. with you. I think it was coming that way. So it wasn't coming directly from him. It was coming from the foundation. Um, he was a bit of a hunter. It was what they said. So maybe they make a deal with the mother to you know, take the kids off her hands so she can be free, which is really what she wants. Um, maybe she didn't know about it. Regardless, I think I think that Hoyt goes out hunting the kids. He ultimately kills the boy. Um, and, you know, using these two people, because the, the two people that were driving the sedan, which got mentioned, right, that the, the, the Sedan was a brand new car, obviously, from money. It didn't fit in an area. So that might be Hoyt's car, potentially, question mark? Yeah, yeah, potentially. Or if not, I see, I think they're subcontracting. Like, this is where the uh, the the lady that works with Lucy yeah. and, and the guy with the dead eye come into the play. Dead eye. Yeah, and it, maybe through the church. Yeah, is kind of how that's recruited. So, uh, yeah, so it's, it, basically everything comes back to, to Hoyt anyway, who gets the kid. Uh, she must escape at some point uh, between, right. like, the 80s and the 90s. Um, she oh, must escape. What if they, <laughs> so they named her Mary. Mm-hmm. Or they rename her Mary, and that's why she's so fucked up about identity is because she yeah. grew up. She could, well, yeah, okay, that's okay. why. That's why I assumed in that room is she's been kept in that room for a couple of years. She escapes from that room, um, and then you know somehow ends up in that convent school, right? Right. Well, it just goes to the streets because she doesn't know who she is, and she's all yeah. fucked up and all. Well, that, yeah, but she, she, yeah, she ends up in that in that uh, school with the nuns though, at some point yeah. for a short period of time. Escapes there and then ends up living rough, which is where she still is. Um, and this black dude with the the dead eye is desperately trying to track her down on behalf of the Hoyt family to get her back because she knows shit. She may have repressed it, but she knows some shit um, about what happened there, enough to bring him down and linking into your theory, which I now think is not just a theory, but is fucking right. When she's kidnapped by the Hoyt family, she sees... In the in the the building at some point, this AGE guy, the Attorney General guy, 
who makes a deal for money or whatever from Hoyt to basically make it all disappear. Yes. So that's that's the right. So we're saying that the end of the eighties time frame in terms of the crime. We don't know what the full end is, but we know that Woodward is pinned for the crime and we know that basically I would imagine in the next episode um we're gonna see what it is that um Hayes does which gets him on a desk job. Right, he's going to do something to fuck over the AG or make an accusation of some sort or do something, and that closes out that time frame. What closes out the eighties time frame is we know who's responsible, but obviously, what's going to happen is the cousin's going to die. Um, maybe Tom Purcell, I don't know, but we know the security guy. He's also going to die, or he's going to go missing. And the Hoyt family doesn't appear to go down because they're still doing investigation in 2015. And what we know in 2015 is some remains have been found. The case is still not being solved because she might still be out there. So they're going to kind of track her down, maybe in the last two episodes, and hopefully bring the Hoyts to justice if they haven't been. And maybe the AG. Is that what we're saying? Have I missed anything out? Uh, I can't think of anything now. Uh, but that, like, all that feels right. I feel like we're on the right track. But then again, we're only two episodes away from the ending. So all of this feels like it, it's heading in those directions. And- I think by the end of the next episode, we'll definitely know. True Detective tends not to, like, by that last episode, we're kind of wrapping things up. So I think the next episode is the one where all the pieces slot together. And then the last episode is the the conclusion right of now. how you know, let's go get them. Yeah. What was interesting about this episode is once again, use of moon imagery. There was uh, in one scene, there was a full moon. I think it's the scene where uh, Hayes goes back to the Purcell house. Um, there's a giant full moon in the background, which I thought was quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, also what was quite interesting is the book itself that she sells is what's it called? Something of the harvest moon. Yeah, uh, keep going and I'll, I'll get you the title here in a second. Yeah, so if that is the case, if that's what it's called, a harvest moon is a full moon. And if that's what she's saying is when the kid was killed, then once again, that kind of debunks the theory online that uh, he had uh, he's had the wrong idea of what the moon was like at that time because the internet says if you do a search on astrological alignment and moon alignment from the day that Steve McQueen died. It was the smallest possible moon you can get. Um but the show showed showed it as a full moon. Uh, if that was the name of the book, it's something the Harvest Moon, I can't remember, but um if that is the case then that denotes a full moon as well. So maybe that's a non non event in terms of online theory. Yeah, I, oh man, it's uh, surprisingly difficult to find the name of this book. Uh, it is, it's the like the Murders in the Harvest Moon or something. Yeah. It's definitely Harvest Moon's in it. I know that much because when I saw it in that scene with the dude with the dead eye, it clocked. I was like, that is a Harvest Moon, like a Slither Moon, because that would be quite interesting. But life, yeah, life and death in the Harvest Moon. There we go. There you go. So that means, um, so that means full moon. So. Yeah. And we've seen a, quite a few scenes of gi- a giant film, like an abnormally large-sized film in, in the background. So We have indeed. Uh, almost Joe versus the Volcano-esque. Nice. Uh, uh-huh. oh, it's nice. a great movie. Uh, so, Duncan, 
we we have only two episodes ahead of us. Uh, a lot of stuff's going to get filled in. I'm excited uh, to uh, to see that. But Duncan, before we get to those episodes, let's uh, let's talk about what we're excited about seeing uh, coming up. What uh, what's got you all all clamoring to watch something? Um, the next thing I'll be watching that I'm super excited for is Happy Death Day to You which I'm going to see on Friday, looks fucking bonkers. I've, the advanced reviews are that it's just a really fun, over-the-top slasher movie, which is exactly what I want. And also, apparently, in the end credit sequence, they tease a potential bonkers third film, which I hope they make, regardless if they make money out of it. Like, just it's a Blumhouse movie. It doesn't cost a lot of money to make. They've made a lot of money with other movies. Give us a third one regardless. If that's what you want to do, make three give us three. I also have a screener for a movie that I actually don't want to watch the screener for. I want to go and see this in the cinema just purely because of the reviews it's been getting, but I have a screener for The Hole in the Ground. Oh yeah, I've heard good things about that. I've heard great things about it. So that's come through uh, for review, but I think it's out here beginning of March and I'm like that. It's a couple of weeks away and kind of want to go and see it the big screen, but there's nothing stopping me seeing it and then going to see it on the big screen. So. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you can always give it a look and then if it, uh, if it really, you know, mm-hmm. guns your motor, then, uh, but yeah. you, you go out to the, the theater and support it. Um, what be yourself? I'll tell you, I'm a uh, braid. I, I will be, uh, hitting within the next 24 ish hours. And, uh, also I never got around to, uh, Jeez, what was that Bootsy Collin movies? Uh, Sorry to Bother You from oh, last yeah. year. Oh, yeah, so fucking good. And man. so I think I'm going to watch both of those tomorrow, as a matter of fact. That's a double bill that I can't wait to hear how you get on with. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm looking forward to watching both because they both seem to be just a, a touch surreal in a way that uh, I, I think I can really get behind. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. I think that's going to do it for this episode, Duncan. Where can people find you uh, it, it, should they want to hear more out of you? Uh, tputzcast.com or search podcasts under the stairs on Facebook. Yeah, and for me, leechinpodcasts.com is where you can find everything. Uh, all the shows featuring myself as well as plenty of other talented podcasters. Uh, and, uh, and and thanks as always for, for checking everything out. Thanks for listening to this. Uh, be sure to rate and review. And most importantly, folks, uh, if you like something you hear, then say something. Um, and and tell, tell a friend if you're enjoying this show. Uh, word of mouth is, is certainly the best advertising you can you can give us. And quite frankly, the least you can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so don't be a jerk face like Hayes's kid. Tell somebody <laughs> about the shows you're enjoying. Um, we'll see you next week uh, for episode seven of season three of True Detective. In the meantime, say good night, Duncan. Good night, Duncan. Bye, everyone. Bye.
waiting outside She hands you this coat She gives you a clothes This cost her life Pretty in pain Isn't 